I'm Jason Sylvia, and this is The Creative Capital Show. A show about creative people and how those creative people turn into entrepreneurs by taking their creativity and turning it into a business and facing all the trials and tribulations along the way. Street fashion, food puns, mom and pop restaurants, vintage clothing, collaborations with beer companies, comic books, toys and collectibles. These things may not fit together for everyone, but for Longston, they all work together in perfect harmony in a world he created with this brand, Bad Taste. Bad Taste has become a fixture in Providence, Rhode Island, and would be considered a successful business by any standard, but that success did not come overnight. It took Longston's first brand failing and 10 years of hard work and forging relationships to make bad taste what it is today. Longston learned a lot in those 10 years when it comes to creativity, business savvy, and networking, which he gets to share with you, the listener. Enjoy. You started a brand that I remember. This is how I initially met you. Um, I think it was called Little Bastard Co., if I remember correctly. Oh uh, yes, yes, yes. What? How did that whole? How did that brand start? Like, what was the? What was the genesis was of that? of that? That was uh. Let me see. It was 2021, 2007, 2008. What is that? Like, thirteen years ago? Yeah, it was about 13, 14 years ago. Thirteen, fourteen years ago. That we were like in the early early twenties. Um, at at that point, I had uh, uh quit community college and I started designing in my bedroom. And I made, and then I met a friend who was at that time working at like a Little General's that screen printed some clothes and then from high school. And then uh, he printed like 12 t shirts for me and uh, it sold to all my friends. I told my friends to buy it. And uh, I wanted, and then I was working some other job and then I just put all my money into that. And then I got together with like three friends and we opened like a small store and shit. When you say put money, like how much was that that investment as far as like um opening up that store? Where was the store located? Oh, uh, the store was in Winsocket, Rhode Island. Um, between us four, I think it was only to be real with you, less than like three thousand dollars, and uh, it gained a lot of traction. But, um, like we were going to the trade shows in L.A., like the what, agenda, like agenda, or agenda. I met the buyers of Zoomies. I met like the creative director from Inc. Magazine, which is like big now. Oh, nice! But they weren't even that big when we met them. And then, like, we got emails from like ASAP Worldwide and like a bunch of random magazines in LA. But like, I was in control of everything, and I didn't really know how to handle that. So that shit like eventually folded. But there was a lot of other shit that happened between the falling out or a couple partners. And a bunch of weird things that eventually it would just naturally folded. I mean, are you willing to go into that? You don't have to, but it's like um, probably an interesting story there. What is the interesting story to that? No, we opened the store. We were making okay money, and then we were at we were part of Karma Loop, and when so that we were selling through Karma Loop Casbah, but then they folded because of their uh, 
I remember when Carmelo folded. That was like a huge like. Yeah, they owned like millions of dollars, and one of them was us. We didn't like we didn't like they owned like Vans and other companies, Mad Money. They only owed us like Fugees, and we it was no way of us getting it. So that for a small biz that sucked. And then my other business partner who does uh, other businesses uh, ventured off into some other things. Um, essentially, is way too much people involved, and and this is like during. 2008-2010 where Instagram wasn't as popping so we had to rely on just reaching out to random stores and it wasn't doing enough to sustain to keep it going because we wanted to make Winsocket popping but like our logo legit had a kid with a gun and this, like the city itself was not down to help promote that and they were just trying to take us down and a lot of other... So I was like a mid-20s, just like stressed out with life. And I was like, fuck this. And it was a bad timing because I was going through some personal shit. Shut down the store and uh, went back and lived with my mom's crib for a little bit. So I got a question. You said there was three other people, but you were running everything yourself. Was that because the three other people weren't pulling their weight? Or like, what? I guess, what were the three other people supposed to be doing or... Or was no, it just they, uh, they put up money and they were like, long run it, we just want to return on the investment or something? No, I think it was legit just a bunch of young 20-year-olds not really knowing how to handle biz, whether they were successful or not. So I can't, I'm not blaming them or anything, but I'm like, they still, I still had to lead everything because it was my designs and ideas, but I also didn't know what the fuck to do. So luckily those guys had their own jobs. And then they bounced, and then I stuck with it to the very end until we all the money was dry, and then I eventually was left with like negative uh, balance in the bank, and then I eventually just closed the first store and uh, bounced and uh, went back to regular job for a few years. So when you were doing this, that was your for I look. So it seems like for them they had like other source of income but for you was that your only source of income at the time when you were when you were yeah, running the store it was the uh my only source of income and uh looking back i wish i would have hustled harder i took more advantages of the opportunities but being like 23 24 and shit that's like and then you're making like a couple hundred bucks a week doing what you do uh it was pretty good but it could have been better so whatever would you say that the climate at the time, like the climate of the culture at the time, um, may have been a contributing factor? Because you're saying karma loop, right? Like, I feel like in those years, that was when I'm doing air quotes here for for anybody that can't see me, because um, it's a podcast, so you can't. But uh, street, quote unquote, streetwear, I feel like had it had like a heyday or like a golden moment where it seemed like every other day there was a new brand coming out. Every other day there was like a, like a brand was getting a collab that I never heard of. Yeah, 2006 was the year that the streetwear uh, was booming, but we were, because it sucks, it took me forever to get it off the ground. So by 2009, 2010, it was kind of dying that new brands weren't even looked at. But I did have some people that was trying to help us out. Like there, there was a, like um, a rep from Zoomies and stuff. They said that we were going to, have opportunity that never went through i didn't reply back to asap uh worldwide who was up and coming but this is like I'm talking about before the videos so like mm-hmm. no one really knew locally of who asap rocky asap yams was and even i didn't 
I had to Google them, and then there wasn't much on, but they were like, yo, my name is ASAP Young from, like, would you like to get down in the clothing? And I was like, how the fuck do I do this? How do I send it to this? So I didn't know. So all these mistakes, and let alone, keep in mind, this is like a kid, me, and a few other homies from Winsaka, Rhode Island, that was not streetwear central. We were not from Boston or New York or LA that had connects. We were like, how the fuck do you deal with this? And I was happy with a couple hundred bucks from local people supporting, but if there was a better opportunity or a better uh guide to look to they like the internet was not as popping as it was today so you were saying that you were trying to put and just want to make sure i'm correct here you were trying to put wound socket on the map was that the mission from the get-go with the brand or was that just kind of something that oh um, we happen to be from wound socket so let's let's put our hometown on not the map but i was very comfortable that's, that's like it's a very like small town mind back in the early 20s where you're like, you know, when Socket's cool and people love us, where, you know, we were the shit over there, but it means nothing to the rest of the uh, world of streetwear. And uh, and then I guess it fast forwards till a few years ago when I eventually opened up the online store and uh, moved to Providence where it uh, flourished a little bit more. I think we're, I want to jump ahead to that in a, in a bit. Um but there was a couple of things that you had stated earlier that uh, I want to dive a little deeper into. One being, um, you know, you had the logo. The logo had the kid with the gun on it. The city wound socket was not fans of that. Um, was it tough to have the business in wound socket just from a like? Were there any barriers from like the city or the state of things you had to deal with besides just wound socket being like we don't like a logo with the kid with a gun on it? Um, any yeah. barriers in that sense even Yo, with the space are, you add if you're a new business like Winsocket does not really help so to, in order to make it in Winsocket you would already have to be there for like generations like there's only like three places that have survived think about it Starbucks didn't even survive and Starbucks is a billion dollar biz and, and I didn't know I didn't know Starbucks didn't survive in Winsocket yeah, Starbucks was there for like a good like three months and they bounced and they Jesus. were like fuck this um, there's only like there's a case that's like an OG restaurant that serves nothing but like five sandwiches. They make millions. There's another one called Beef Barn. All they serve is beef sandwiches. Mister uh, uh, Chan's Chinese restaurant. I was gonna say Mister Chan's is the only thing I know from from. Your Chan's has the most terrible, terrible ch- Chinese food I've ever had in my life. But the guy is, is cool because he has a freaking Fu Manchu mustache that goes like like freaking uh, what's his face like Salvador Dali and he. I heard they do a lot of live music in there too. Because the only the reason why they're alive is the liquor and the nightlife. The rest, gotcha. Um, but to be a new uh, business, there isn't much for you to go on. Uh, but we tried, right? Because we were like super ambitious and shit. And I was like super ambitious. And then you know, and then it's discouraging because you're doing mad shit. It does not get into the level you want. And then a lot of people don't see your vision, so you're like, fuck. Um, but you needed a lot of people to get involved. Uh, but no, like, looking back, like, legit, legit, uh, I felt like shit when the store closed down because I lost, like, a lot of money. And I had a, I haven't seen, my, I think at that time, I didn't see my parents for a while because I was doing my own thing. And then I called my pops. I was like, yo, I was, like, borderline crying. I was like, yo, could you help me uh, at the store? bombed and i need to come back home and my pops is super cool he's like yeah you could always come back home so he rented like a u-haul truck and helped me pack all my stuff and now like it was in his garage for like a few years so i ended up just getting a regular job uh after that 
but uh, it was heartbreaking. But looking back, everything that shit was like a big lesson, so that I won't do that certain stuff ever again. What were the things that you um, that you just didn't know, or the things that you wish you had advice on when you started that? Was it more on the design and like the creation of things side, or was it more just on like this is what a tech pack is. This is like how to finance your business. This is how you do the taxes for your business. This is how to make an LLC. Like, or was it just a mix of those of, of everything that? Um, no, the design was the easiest part. That was natural to me. I just knew because you're already doing that. Yeah, I was. Uh, it's like being a musician. You kind of just like know how to do it naturally. The ideas and shit. Uh, but the business side, from budgeting to how to. You know, talk business to people, how to get into stores, how to keep the vendors happy, how to do your taxes, how to do everything else besides creatively with something I myself or my friends didn't know what to do. And that ultimately, uh, you know, one of the major factors of not being successful. Uh, but that's true. Like most most businesses have like a creative side and a business dude, you know, like there's dudes who are just into business and financial and then there's then the other person is just into uh creatively and uh they just do the books and and that's it or they do the books in such a way that the creative person can do all the crazy creative stuff and then the business guy has to figure out how they can do it to make money yeah there's that that's mainly the reason is you are it's hard to be both it's hard to be super creative and also super into the business side because, like, you know, where'd that come from? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. The creative side is natural. It's your left brain or whatever brain it is, left side it is. But the the business side is like, man, like, fucking, you know, like, you just open the bank account and they don't really tell you what to do and fucking. Uh, it's like good you're luck. Just, you're just winging it. I was winging. I've been winging the fuck out of shit for like ever. I'm. I was like, we're lucky we got to that far. Question on that. Two, um, because there's still a couple of things I want to hit on as far as like the early days, but uh, I've noticed even with the the success you have now, it's still, to my knowledge, just you. Um, is there a reason for that? Is there a reason why you didn't take on like a partner that could just, hey, listen, you handle the business stuff and make sure like we're not losing money. I just want to go create things. Is there a reason why you've kept it to solely you, even with um, and we'll talk about this later, like your newer business ventures? Yeah. Um. Mainly because, one, I didn't, no one's going to, I've noticed that even if you are so passionate about your stuff and you bring in people who like want to get down, they're never going to be 100% as passionate into what you're into just because it's natural because that's their thing. You could, they could tell you, oh, I'm going to get down, whatever. And two, I wanted to do it on my own because I want to either succeed or fail on my own. Like I would feel terrible if I brought in somebody and uh, and I completely bombed and because uh, if I fail it's cool like I've gone weeks in the beginning stages where like it's not doing good but like I don't have much responsibility all I got to do is just what tone down my going out to eat or whatever and just limiting my budget but if I had someone else to rely to it caused me way too much stress but um, but now within the past year I do we could talk about it later I do have my buddy who helps me out uh, business-wise and but uh, he's 100 percent understanding because before he got involved with some money and time i was like yo it's not gonna be 
booming until we get to a certain point. And uh, he's super cool with that because he has a legit career as a microbiologist. But as far as like starting by myself, um, yeah, I wanted to just do it on my own because uh, I feel like I had enough experience where like I could do it. And also, mainly I wanted to just have all the responsibility on me. So you're saying that you're, um, when you need the help, your dad was down to help you. Have your parents just throughout your life been super supportive of any of the creative stuff you want to do? Because you said you were designing for a while. Um, has it always been the case, like the parents from the get-go and your family have been supportive? Or did that did that take a while? Huh. Uh, yeah, you know, being a traditional uh, Asian family, they wanted me to go to college and do the degree with doctors and stuff. But I tried that. I legit, my dad paid for like the first semester at community college. It was only like, you know, a few, like two Gs or whatever, but it was very a lot for him. Um, and I tried it and I realized that's not my thing and I dropped out and it was just very depressing. Not the fact that I couldn't learn. I'm like, I know, like throughout the school, I was like smart as fuck. Like I was like, you know, on the math team and all this shit. Uh, but Eventually, as I got older, like I knew that I could not sit still and learn from lectures and people talking. Um, it wasn't like I felt anxiety every time I went to class. Uh, and then I kept on doing it. And then they were like, what are you doing and stuff? Uh, the more you keep on doing stuff for Asian parents, and you they, re- you re- they realize that this is what you're going to do, the they became supportive in the later years uh, as I... Um, and then they became more supportive and then they'll help me out when I need to like you know uh, in the beginning stages my pops would come to the store and look uh, check it out and help me install the fixtures and put up the railings and uh, oh that's come, pretty awesome so he was he was down to like come hey, to, I'm come to, to the events you know come to the events and now uh, as I got older they're just down and and hope it supports me by myself. Uh, they don't really want anything out of it. They're just hoping that it uh, sustains and helps me. So as I got older, yeah, they've been pretty supportive, even though I've kind of pushed them to the side and not tell them exactly what I do or whatever. Uh, but as I got older, I learned to appreciate that the, their support means uh, a lot. So now they they know exactly what you do, or are they still not? No, they come to oh, the okay. store. They, they, they know and they talk to their friends that I do the store and a bunch of different creative stuff. Um, and I fill them in every now and then. So, Did you always know from a young age, because you were saying like, hey, I, I tried doing the, like the serious school, college thing. Did you just know from a, from like a young age that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do the normal path? Or, or was that more of an evolution where as you, as you were getting older and going through life, you just realized, huh, like the normal thing isn't for me? I don't know, it's a little bit of both. Because since, like, middle school and high school, I would just keep creating, drawing, whatever on whatever I can. I'm talking about, like, from clothes. I was drawing clothes and hats and stuff. And people were like, yo, it's dope. And then, like, I would zone out and draw on my arm and stuff. The teacher would, like, you know, pay attention and stuff. And then uh, I was on the gift of arts class. And they were like, you could be bigger if you just focus on stuff. You have so much potential. And first of all, I was like talking to the shit to the teachers. I'm like, I don't know what you mean, lady. But now I appreciate as I get older when the 
every art teacher has said you have so much potential. Now I know what they mean because I have no idea what the fuck that meant when I was younger. And now I'm like, oh shit, you know, this lady was right. I could probably do whatever it is I want to do. Um, back then I was like, yo, man, what's going on? Uh, but I've always wanted to do it because I legit would be such a... I wasn't necessarily like a loner. I was like a loner in school. But I still like knew everybody. Everybody like appreciated like an artsy kid. They wouldn't really chill with them that much, but they wouldn't really hit on them. So like when I got my license in like high school, I would drive to New York. I mean not New York. Yeah, I drove to New York too. Fuck it. I drove there a few times, but I would drove to mostly Boston on a weekend, and I would just check out like the streets that had like these street artists. And I was like, it's kind of cool. Was that like more of a permit thing, like the being the loner, or did at some point did you have like a crew of people around you? Because you had those three other guys who had the the initial little bastard with you was it all was it like loner for a while or did you do did you have like a, a tight-knit like support system um the the people the the homies that i started stuff with i'm still good friends with today best friends were on like a group chat and stuff uh but they understood why it bombed and everybody's super cool with it and the crew is like this like they know that what i'm into and they're down to support and get down and they know when I do my own thing. Um, I still do it to this day. I'll drive hours to like a particular art event or convention and I'll go by myself because they know that it's not their thing 100% anyways. So I still had like a great support system and the homies in high school. But I also had my uh, solitude. And uh, But that was like, you know, that's growing up. Like I've always had my own solitude. I, uh, I grew up with like... Uh, uh, as an immigrant kid with like a pen and a paper in his bedroom for like since I came here, you know, it's like I'm like only a child, so I just know how to be by myself and do what I want to do. I understand that you were designing pretty much or drawing, painting, doing some type of art since you were a little kid, right? Um, and I'm looking at some of the badass paintings where, uh, by the way, this is instead of in my apartment, I'm actually doing my first remote podcast. So we're in, we're in, we're in Long's place. We're at Long's home and I'm looking at some of the paintings on the walls. What, informed your design aesthetic like what were the influences that you were like hey i'm gonna paint in this style or i'm gonna draw things in this style was it like music you listened to was it any sports you were into was it just things that you saw like what informed how you painted and how you did your art like any artist it's like evolved throughout the years like it evolved from that art class in middle school to um to high school uh, you know, that shit was dark as fuck back then because as a high school kid, most kids are like depressed and listen to the fucking... Uh, first of all, I was like in high school, in middle school when like grunge was popping, so that shit was depressing as fuck. Uh, so most of that stuff, I uh, influenced my stuff and being alone, you would create universe. So I think that's why uh, throughout my life with creating, the, people have said multiple times like, yo, you're in your own universe or whatever. But that's because I was so in my own world that I did create my own, like, you know, shit. So, like, no, like, you know, there's, on one side, there's very the lonely side of being the only child, being the only person into art, aside from your friends, like, deeply. So you just search stuff on your own. And then the flip side, the cool part of being alone is nobody else influences you except for the stuff that you look up yourself. So, like, all the stuff around you from, like, the days of music and MTV to, uh, 
like I randomly roamed. I legit in middle school and high school got dropped off while kids were playing outside. I asked my mom to drop me off at the local library and I would spend hours there. It would be like from fucking 3.30 to like 8 and I would just roam those books and uh, eventually I just found like dope shit, you know? And then um, as a young artist or creator, you just copy a lot of old people's art like from Salvador Dali to Michelangelo to Picasso and stuff and street art and then you eventually just find what you like and then it influences your current style and as it got older it becomes a little more refined it gets less cartoony it becomes a little bit more uh, personal reflection and everything now is super thought out and stuff like if you could tell you know back in the days when like 10 years ago I was down like guns and girls and I was gonna say what informed like it's that's actually a good segue. Like, what informed the design aesthetic of uh, Little Bastard Coke? It seemed like kind of reminded me a little bit of like a neighborhood esque in the sense that it was like at least the lookbooks. What I would see is like biker culture a little bit, girls, guns, things, yeah. things like that. Like, there's a there's a, there's a dude, uh, the homie, who was one of the buyers at Carmel. He was like, "Yo, I love the brand because it reminds me of like you know Fiber Ops and shit." And that was like a Japanese brand that had like the neighborhood look. Uh, back in 2006, whatever, or 2008, like all those brands are like very relevant. Uh, it was one, I like black and white because I thought that was badass. I like bike culture, that's badass. And uh, I met my friend who screen printed out of his basement, and he was like, Yo, if you limit your colors to just one, you could save so much money. So, like, budgeting that saved us because we were doing black and white ink. Um, but mainly, it was dark. It was like zombie movies influence. It was biker influence. It was James Dean influence. It was like violence, girls, guns. It was very what was ever popping when you were in your early 20s in the mid 2000s street where everybody had guns from the hundreds to Crooks and Castles to Diamond Supply. So we were like, yeah, man, I saw some guns and girls. What the fuck? So uh, <laughs> that was whatever was hot because you're influenced by that time. In that time, uh, everything was uh, loud and. Talking to suppliers, talking to buyers, knowing how much materials cost, knowing how much your time costs, heck, knowing your costs in general, and keeping track of that with budgeting, and keeping track of your inventory. I know all these things don't sound very sexy when it comes to creative work, but knowing the basics of business is an important lesson you must learn in order to be successful. And unfortunately, with Longston's first brand, Little Bastard Co., Longston learned that lesson the hard way. He admitted that not knowing the basics of business was one of the main factors in why Little Bastard Co. failed. So learn from his mistakes and learn the basics of business. And if that's not your thing, find somebody you know and trust who it is their thing. It will save you so much time and headaches in the long run and possibly save you from complete and utter failure. things informed your design aesthetic and you know you were going with what was popular at the time for your first brand your first outing um which was little bastard co right what informed bad taste because i noticed at least at first and this is just from an outsider's point of view and it still is to an extent at least to me um but full on i remember when the brand first came out it was a lot of like food puns and like kind of flipping the idea of food and streetwear and music. Uh, 
and I did notice that there was like a lot of like food blogs at the time. Did that inform that or like what made you want to choose like, yeah, I'm going to do something. I'm going to flip the idea of food and put that into streetwear. Yeah, I was like, uh, my, cause I was into like food, food blogging and I was like, yo, I kept making these puns and the pizza and ODB KFC, like, and I was like, yo, we made like designs based off of food and, um, and the first collection was all just food parodies and became its own brand. And uh, the name came from just, I wanted like a food-based name, but not so like literally food, you know? And then my buddy uh, and I was sitting around and uh, he mentioned there was like a Peter Jackson movie called Bad Taste. And I was like, yeah, that's fucking, that's good. Peter Jackson movie Bad Taste is actually some crazy Muppets that do some fucked up shit. It's a pretty fucked up movie. Well, there we go. Now we got their movie recommendation. Yeah, there's Muppets and they have guns and sex Wait, and shit. What the hell? That's, that just sounds like it's Crank a, Yankers, the movie. It's Crank Yankers, but like bizarre. It's like Peter Jackson's first movie. You did this you know, food-related brand. It's still going today, but from the get-go, um, was the idea just to have this food, like pun-related brand, or did you always have in your mind? Because now I've noticed that there's been an evolution in it, right? Like you have the store and the store is not just the bad taste stuff but there's other things going on you have like collectibles you have vintage clothing you have customized clothing um and even the bad taste stuff it seems to go more in a providence and local direction rather than a food direction was that the idea from the get-go or was that just more of an evolution uh no that's just adapting to what was happening kind of like you know jeff bezos he's all he started he started amazon with just books and then evolved to whatever it is, uh, had a few bumps. So I know that me selling these shirts was going to be very niche and niche, niche. And I was like, damn, okay, I'm making some okay money. But like at that time, uh, the it was weird because I started when I lost my job at, uh, I was working at a, a company head of the shipping and stuff, making decent money, health benefits. Then I got fired because I was in charge of another employee's mishap, Um, which, you know, whatever. Uh, I didn't cause it, but, like, you know, being in charge of someone else's mishap is... uh, So when you get fired, you can actually collect. When you get uh, quit, you cannot. So they were still giving me a couple hundred bucks a week, and I was doing bad taste. But then I also started, like... uh, accumulating all these thrift and vintage clothes in my uh, garage. So at that time, because I'm always hustling, I would uh, invite people to come to my dad's garage where I was still living uh, at his house to buy like my clothes, bad taste, and like the vintage. So the vintage is very uh, broad. Like you don't have to like you know, branded bad taste clothing or food puns. You could just like random uh, vintage clothes. So they came over. Every week I would make a couple hundred bucks. And then I tried, and then I heard about the Providence Flea, which was, I think I'm starting by Maria. I applied for that. And then I uh, sold the bad taste stuff and it would make like you know, a few hundred bucks. Not Nothing crazy, like maybe 200 bucks. But the rent was like 70. And I was like, yeah, that's right. It's not. Uh, then... The next week, I just started to put my vintage clothing there, and it was booming. And it was, you know, so I would still make like 100, 200 bucks off the bad taste stuff. And then I was making like 400 bucks off of the vintage. So 
to keep what I was trying to, my passion of the bad taste branded clothes, I would, I kept thrifting and getting vintage clothes. So I adapted and it was eventually, uh, so I made a bunch of more, because we were like one of the first persons to do it for men's vintage streetwear clothing at the Providence. I was going to say, yeah, that the, a lot of the vintage stores I would go to, it, it was it was women-centric or like heavily women's clothing. It wasn't that many choices for guys in general, let alone like streetwear yeah. and all that. Yeah, business was booming the first year. The first year, I legit was there with uh, every Sunday and just pulling in like a minimum of 500 bucks in sales every Sunday for like six hours. Like one, one week, it was like Brown's um, moving in day and it was like 900 bucks people were lining up to go to my booth buying my shit vintage shit it was nuts it was like yo this is insane because like i'm not i'm not technically working and this is what i'm doing to make some money um people are buying some bad taste stuff but they're digging the vintage stuff so let's do more vintage and then we could still do the bad taste do like you know small runs uh so it was this evolution of like how to stay alive and how to make money and you know uh there's only uh about i'm I mean, I love my shit, but like, I'm smart enough to know that I got to sell some other shit to make some money. Because of the experience you had, right, with uh, Little Bastard Co., was it just losing your job that made you want to get back and like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this again? Or what, what was the event or the things that you're like, you know, I want to I give it another one. I want to give it another shot. Um, It was legit waking up at like 5 a.m. for like somebody else. Whether I was getting paid good or not, which I was, like, I had enough experience where like, I could, I really could have gotten, like, any job I wanted, to be real with you, and making, like, you know, 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks a week, getting the benefits and stuff. Um, but it was just the anxiety of working for somebody else, waking up at five. Like, I don't, I just don't like that at all. What like, was that other job, by the way, if you don't mind me asking? I was in the shipping department for Tiffany & Company. It was a, a cool company at the time. Um, so, like, I was the guy that, like, last shipped and touched the, like, Super Bowl trophy before I went off to the the Super Bowl. So, I met the young kids who, well, in the 30s, that made and sculpted the Super Bowl trophy. And they were silversmith, and they were, like, they went to school for art. There's, like, three or four of them. And they were, like, yo, and I got to know them. They're, like, yo, man, you're super cool. Like, if you want, we could train you to be a silversmith so you can make some of this stuff with us. And I was, like, man, that's cool. Imagine me just sculpting all these trophies and stuff. But then I realized that it was going to be so time consuming. You had to spend like hundreds and hundreds of hours to get certified to even. And I was like, yo, it's cool, man. But like, I don't really, I, I, would, I would still be trapped and not creating my own shit. You know what I'm saying? And the money was going to be good. And the money is good because all the job security. Uh, but, you know, they were, the, it was just still, I mean, eventually I was going to quit or get fired anyways. Cause I was legit on the internet and just looking up different things for me to do. and Because uh, I was still designing, so I was looking up things and trying to do my own business and use it. So it was like it was inevitable. I was there for like over a year, and uh, there was a few incidents that made me pissed off that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Uh, one of them was like, I don't get too deep, but my, my, my good friend, he was 21 years old, and... Uh, he like died while I was working and I didn't hear it till after because you can't use your phone. And then I went uh, and then I turned on my phone. And I was like, yo, I got all this 
these texts and it's like, yo, uh, my boy, your boy Simon passed away and I got pissed and I was like, what? He's like, you're lying. And then I realized he was like, you know, like passed away a few hours ago and no one could get, no one could like reach me because of the, the security through the phones and shit. Oh, holy shit. And then the same thing happened a month later. My grandma was dying in the hospital, but there, my family members, you know, we got this, just go to work. And I went to work and they called me while I was working that she passed. And like all that shit is just, um, added up. And I was like pissed. I was like, I can't work this. But I, I don't like the fact that I can't do what I want to do. And uh, last year, my, my good friend's uh, dad, my uncle, was about to pa- pass away. And I just took the whole week off from my, because I do my own shit, because, you know, my own store. So I took the week off and just chilled at this house. And that's what I wanted to do. Like, and that's why I don't, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, it gives you that freedom to take an L for a week, lose some money, which I don't care about. But if you work for somebody else, you can't do any of that shit. So I was like, fuck, working for everybody else. Um, the anxiety of not creating your own thing. The having to listen to somebody and the freedom to do certain things that uh, you will regret or, uh, you know, uh, be with people who you love on your own time added up to me just bouncing. What was, or what did you learn, I should say? What did you learn from the experience of having the first brand that now you're starting the second brand that you were able to apply? Because you're saying with the first, with Little Bastard, right? You didn't know a number of things and that was a contributing factor as to why that business didn't go the, maybe the way that it should have. Yeah. And so what did you learn from that? And also, was there any other bits of information that you picked up that you were able to apply to bad taste in what you have now and you know what do you feel like you learned that was able to make this business sustaining and successful this current this current brand you got now you know there's a bunch uh like one is like you know budgeting uh when i was like you know young girls being reckless because i thought money would keep coming in and you realize as you get older it's very hard to obtain from small thing of just budgeting and ordering certain things you need or don't need there's some stuff that you don't need stuff you could do on your own uh, there's people who you trust. That's also a big thing. You can't uh, always think you're the shit because uh, when we were like doing our own thing like ten years ago, everybody thought we were cool, and you know. Uh, but when shit hits the fan, everybody bounces. So I don't want to like get too high on my own, uh, like you know, t-shirts or whatever designs that people love. Uh, but as far as like logistic goes, it's just budgeting and knowing what to order, what not to do. Like you don't have to do every thing that somebody reaches out to you and be selective but also take advantage of like the real opportunities because that person that reached out could probably go to somewhere else so learning to take opportunities better business relations being uh more assertive and just hustling harder because you know that that shit could just end whenever you know what i'm saying like when you're like good and young you're like oh it's just dope but then you're you're older you're like oh man everything could just uh blow over any second now was there things that you were able to learn as far as like from the business and administrative side, like was setting up, like doing the initial paperwork to set up the business, maybe like setting up an LLC, like was, did you, was that a bit easier this time around? Um, it, and was or is Providence, Rhode Island, a better market than Woonsocket, Rhode Island uh, to set up the business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, even though it's just 30 minutes away, Providence is the creative capital of the uh, state. Hence the name of the show. Yeah. Uh, all the administrative <laughs> is easy. Cause now like, there's so many like small business like steps to like if you go to the city hall and you want to open like they'll help you out you know like is that what you did 
Um, well, we just knew from people and, uh, yeah, we went to City Hall. We wanted to, like, do the business license stuff. They told us to go to this place, that place. Uh, looked up a few things online. Um, we went to the bank and they did the LLC for us. So there was people, let me turn this off. But there's people that are just, like, um, paid to do certain things and, uh, it made it easier for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, taxes to paperwork. All you gotta do is ask someone uh, from, you know, your bank financial person that opens up your bank account and uh, everything is much more easier. They have, they did all the LC for us. So when you say they, you mean the bank? What yeah. bank did you go to? Citizens. Oh, okay. So if somebody wanted to kind of do what you do, like the first thing they should maybe go to a bank and get a business account and have them take care of like the more tricky paperwork. I yeah. Guess. Those, those people want your business. Like they want whatever commission they get is like, yo, I want to open this business account. They're like, Oh, cool. And we so like, it's like right this way, sir. Yeah. But I'm like, yo, I don't know how to do any of this stuff, man. You got to do it for us. Uh, and they'll, uh, well, ours, I'm not sure if everybody's like that, but our person, Katie, uh, who helped us out, uh, super cool. She did right then and there. And she, emails us and keeps in touch with us make sure everything is all set so that was pretty dope um and being from providence there's other business owners that eventually find out about you and get to know you and uh what i love about the city is all you gotta do is ask them and they'll let you know what to do what not to do uh example would be like the the homies from uh, troop restaurant uh ask them about a lot of stuff and then ask the homies from brass monkey and black sheep they uh I've designed some church for them and they're very open to send me whatever information and help me out whatever I want. Uh, I couldn't get, really get that in Woonsocket because there wasn't much like-minded uh, businesses. Uh, over here, everybody's just super down. Would you say that's the climate of province? I've noticed at least with the food and beverage businesses, like the food and drink businesses, yeah, there's competition and there's a lot of it but everybody's pretty supportive. Would you say that's like Providence overall? Because um, I've noticed talking to even some people on this podcast, like there's some business and business sectors where everybody's supportive of each other. But then I'll hear when it comes to like music and entertainment, there's a reason why like certain, like nobody breaks out from the state. So it seems like certain businesses, and I like your opinion on this, certain businesses or certain types of businesses, everybody's very supportive where there's others where it can get like clicky almost. I don't know what your experience has been like. Because your experience, it seems it's been pretty positive. Like, everybody's been pretty helpful. Yeah, uh, yeah, but that's because, like, I don't know. I guess it depends on who you are. I think in any, uh, I think in any business, uh, you're going to have people who are just, like, super clicky in their own or seclusive. And then there's going to be people just down. Personally, I'm just down for whatever, man. But you want, if you, if you need my help, and if I can, then I would try my best. But if I can't, then um, I'm gonna let you know, but that's not because I don't want to. Just sometimes I can't. I gotta do my own shit first. But so far, everybody like there's been definitely people that just like not down or open, and that's so cool, man. That's their own thing. But the majority of the time, I'll, I'll ask anybody and uh, if they can help me out a certain way. And most of the most of the time, they're down. But then sometimes people will be like, "Oh, I can't right now. Maybe uh, a little later," and stuff like that. Um, People, uh, I don't know, like, a lot of people use excuses of other people not helping them out. At the end of the day, you still got to be, like, doing your own shit. Like, you got to make sure your shit is, like, dope or good. You can't just be, like, asking for a ton of help for people to get you somewhere. And networking isn't, like, you know, let me see what the next guy could do for me. Networking is, like, just keeping it real and uh, uh, connecting and 
wants to get down on your vision and if they can help you out but like like no one should be discouraged if somebody can't help them out it's like a, that's a weird mindset so when you say networking um because i want to touch upon this because you do have those relationships with the people at black sheep and troop with troop being directly next door to you and um brass monkey how did you go about forging those relationships Cause i think that's something important that and not to criticize the generation coming up, but like the thing I'll hear on other podcasts or just other business people or other creatives is that like, hey, you know, the new generation doesn't know how to network in person or how to build those relationships. So how did you go about that? Like, like what is the advice you would give as far as relationship building? Because you seem to be pretty damn good at it. Yo, um, people, uh, I'm not saying I'm my own personal, but um, there's, this, uh, there's this woman, her name is... Uh, Kyla Coburn, she designs like Troop and The Grange and uh, East End, right? She's like the ultimate uh, artist designer that I look up to. So when you say designs, like she does their logos or does like all their interiors? No, their interiors. She, they oh, okay, they give gotcha. her lots of money and she builds the whole restaurant for them. Uh, she says, and this is like a few years ago, and I was just like getting to know and chilling and she was like mad real. And I, this is like the best compliment I ever got in my life. Uh, and she was like, you long, uh, Longston, uh, you're so authentic. You know, you walk it, you talk it, you look it. Everybody uh, loves working with because you're just real keeping it. And I never thought about that because my whole life, i just been myself, right? And like for the first part of your whole life, people think because you're so yourself that you're weird um, doing your own thing. And then, uh, but everything that has been myself, I've been wearing t-shirt and jeans my whole life and people eventually now caught on and wearing t-shirt and jeans is cool and ripped shit and uh, shoes. But what I'm getting to about networking is I think a lot of people network the wrong way in a sense where they, and I thought about this before, I even you even mentioned it, because I thought about like, oh, wow, people are terrible at this. And it, maybe it's young people, but in, in general, old or young, I think some people go networking to network. Like they go to meet somebody or in a relation to try to get something from them. Where I think I am good at it because I don't, do it for anything but just to get to know people. And I don't even network. I just go and chill and then people who are, uh, are like-minded connect, right? There's some people that don't see my vision and we don't connect and that's cool, man. But I think the reason some people are good networkers is because like like an example, I know Sean from uh, Troop because I just genuinely drank Revival, and I was like, yeah, this is dope beer. And he was like, oh, maybe you should come by this, this, uh, the, the brewery, the old one. I was like, oh, shit, it's dope. And then I was like, connected. And then Sean, I think, introduced me to Oscar, who owns uh, Black, Black Sheep and Brass Monkey. And he came to my booth at the province. He was like, yo, I love your design. If you want to design something, I'll, I'll give you some money. I was like, yeah, man, I'm down, whatever. And then, you know, uh, Oscar has like, you know, um, Laotian, half Laotian, children and we i'm the ocean and we talk about food and wherever i go to like art galleries or whatever or local events uh everything has been just like chill like it became natural like so i think to really answer the question is i think people who don't know how to network correctly is because they go into networking seeking what they can get from somebody else rather than seeing what they could do for somebody else or uh not try to get anything from anybody but just like forge better relationships and I think um, I didn't know it till recently when people said that I am a likable or personal person. But at the end of the day, I legit was super authentic in myself. And there's probably some people out there that's like, oh, man, I don't really want to mess with this guy. And maybe that's why I haven't worked with them. But uh, for the most part, 
I like people who are authentic in themselves, and I think they like that back. Uh, and you can just tell when people are just not down or like seem like they come off as. Tra- and there's definitely some people that I have met that want something from me, and it just feels weird. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It's like, that's how I feel like that's how we met and we became friends is me just coming to your store and just being like, I like this stuff that you're doing and just constantly showing up yeah, to your man. store. Every, and then we were, we were like talking about similarly and nerd out. And I've actually nerd out with the mad people. And some people would just go over their heads and be like, yeah, see, I was talking about the ridiculousness. I don't know any of this stuff. And I was like, damn. But then some people were down like, oh, this is cool. And then, uh, yeah, man, like things are... It's the same thing as being friends with somebody. It's just being natural. Like you can't force friendship or uh, business relationships. So it's 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 show up, be authentic, and focus on what you can give rather than what you can get. Yeah, a lot of people go and try to like get something out of it, like as it's like a crazy uh, uh, business thing. Like you know, like you know, when you go on like a first date, and you're automatically thinking, "Gosh, oh, I need to uh, make this person like." my wife or husband or something where you could just probably go and have a good time and not expect anything. Right. Right. People just not expect anything to be real with you. So speaking of these, like letting the relationships and thing be natural and authentic. Um, do you still, and correct me if I'm wrong, do you still do like social media and marketing for other brands and businesses besides your own? Or do I have that incorrect? Uh, I used to, I do less of it. A lot of the people that I worked with was like a lot of old school mindset. They still didn't think that, the stuff I was providing to answer the question correctly and bluntly, I felt like I was being undervalued, underpaid for what I was doing. And also it can't be easy of like, unless it's a natural relationship, kind of like promoting and doing things for somebody else when you're not like directly involved with that business. Cause it's like somebody else's vision and somebody else's brand DNA. Yeah. Right? Like I legit was doing some really quality stuff and um, I wasn't being compensated correctly. And in, in Providence, you can't really charge too much. Because uh, everybody thinks they're a social media influencer. Uh, uh, Everybody everywhere, not just Providence, thinks they're a social media influencer now. Yeah, so they except for me, I'm just like I'm not that interesting. A lot of people think they just post a photo and that becomes like a social media. Social media be viral. So social media does a lot more more than just posting a picture. It's engagement and videos and uh, algorithms and uh, how you take uh, certain photos or just how do you present certain things and ads and fun and shit like that. To answer the question, like I was spending too much time at these places and I realized I was doing the numbers that if I was getting paid this amount of hours to work for somebody else, because I was eventually without what I was doing, even though I liked doing social media, I was still working and getting a check from somebody else. And it was taking time for my own projects. And I cut that off pretty much last year and I've been uh, mentally happier and uh, financially feeling better because everything comes to me and uh, I don't have to chase a check or make sure I do work people on time everything is on my time and all the allocated hours are going towards me to build like you know like it's cool to build some else's company but it's so much better to build your own so that it's a company that you have built and grow you know, because you get everything. You get all the 100% of the revenue. Keep it on the topic of relationships. You did a, I would say, pretty notable collaboration with Narragansett Beer. How did that, can you just walk through like that entire, just how all that happened in that entire process? Because I think you hear a lot about collaborations in, in the design world, right? 
And I think there's some mystique as to how these things actually work. So, you know, who reached out to who, um, how, how, what did the design process look like? How much involvement did each party have? Like, just go from inception to all the way to a final product and debuting it. How did all, how, can you walk us through that? So it's Providence. Everybody kind of follows each other on Instagram, you know, local business. So I think Jamie at the time, she no longer works. I think she works for Proclamation. She's super cool, super sweet uh, woman. She was handling some... Uh, so Narragans has always been pretty open to uh, working with artists. They've worked for artists in the past and other businesses. Didn't like Dr. Seuss did it, do their original like um, ads or something back in the day? Speaking of artists. You have no idea, but they're, they're, those people are like old as fuck. They're like 1800s. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a band that's been around for a while. They like sponsored the first Red Sox uh, team. Yeah. And to be honest, I've only started drinking them since like uh, 2000, like 10 years ago. I was like, what the hell is this? And then uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then to be honest, like I like the can design. I, uh, I'm a very uh, can design drinker. I really don't care and now I do, but before I was like, oh, let's, let's go buy some cans. It's a pretty cool. cool can design. And like it's very color, uh, right? iconic now. So you, you you knew somebody at Gantz. Did they reach out to you as far as how, how this whole uh, collaboration okay, or did you um, reach out to them? I think I posted various things on my Instagram and I would get reactions from where I was controlling their Instagram account. And then uh, one day I was like, yo, man, let's do something. So like, the, I just ask if I like uh, something, right? And then... They're like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, uh, send uh, email us some ideas and stuff. So I'm like, oh, word, that's dope. Uh, and then uh, I worked with uh, Zach, Zach Deuce, uh, my buddy who. Uh, so Zach, uh, if you if you flash back ten years, if I was 25, Zach was like 15, and he was he's uh, he was a big fan of uh, the LBCO old brand that we did, mm-hmm. and he ordered some stuff. And then uh, he said he loved the brand and stuff. And I was like, oh, that was dope. And I've, I've always kept in touch. Not even kept up, but I've always, we have always followed each other. And then I know Zach uh, works and does a lot of cut and sew. And I'm not too familiar with that. Oh, okay. So I hit up Zach. I was like, yo, uh, I'm doing this collab, Bad Taste and Narragansett. Do you want to get down? Um, we'll both do it. And then we'll both uh, split the the profit and stuff. He's like, yeah, yeah, because uh, it'll, it'll be good for his portfolio. And then he's, because Zach works as a designer for uh, a Zoomies brand called Ethic at that time. Okay. So they, they have like uh, millions of dollars in sales and they're like, uh, but he uses connects within the industry to do his own shit. So I was like, yo, I'm not going to just search the internet for cutting so people I'm just gonna go to Zach and just you know uh, break off a piece of the profit for him. And uh, I was like, "Yo, Zach, uh, I got this opportunity to do some shit for Narragansett. Let's come up with like five different things." So we did uh, a cut and so uh, striped shirt because I think that time three years ago, like guest striped shirts were hot. So we did that. So striped shirt like a like a button up or like a rugby. This is a rugby short okay. sleeve, and gotcha. then we and then we did a rugby long sleeve with a collar, and then we did a jacket. And then we did a couple T-shirts, and then Gantzer, and then we did the jacket uh, that was red at the time, uh, to go exactly like their beer, all cut and sew, and really, and then we sent them. Yo, we got all the ideas. We we're hoping they'd pick them all up, but you know, Narragansett's cool. They were budgeting to. Uh, They're like, yo, we want to just do the jacket. Let's order like a hundred of those. I was like, oh, we're dope. Um, and then 
So I sketched it out. Zach did the tech pack. We sent it overseas to a reliable uh, company that does stuff for Zoomies and a bunch of other skateboard brands, like a legit uh, console company. They sent us back a sample. I didn't like some things. I like the sizing or the fabric. So we switched it up. Wait like another month or two. Uh, get it back. Everything's to my spec. And I shot some photos for it. I sent like the previews to Gansett. They loved it. We gave them the sample. And then re-released it on the Gansett market of uh, November. And like it was like sold out within like a day or two. You're saying Gansett market. Was that like a kind of like a Gansett, near Gansett sponsored or run like flea market type of deal? No, it was like it was like it was like a lot of artisans and uh, beer and clothing. It was like gotcha. a, like over a hundred vendors, but they wanted to launch that shit there, uh, the jacket, and then like everybody loved it. So we sold out. We only sold it for like eighty bucks, which is super super good price. And then uh, no, uh, and then it's been on like and that was like two years ago. But it's been and then we released the black ones this year. Uh, I mean later in, uh, in November December. Uh, we had a mix up because the. With COVID, I think there might be a new crew overseas, and they fucked up on our uh, silhouette that we used last year, so it didn't fit the sizes. So we had to do a rerun, and now we had to talk. But that's like a small business problem. We're like, yo, fuck. that's what you deal. Relationships—they are key in life, and they are key in business. And Longston has spent the last 10 years networking and creating strong relationships in both the business and creative communities in Providence. And those relationships have led to some amazing creative projects. Longston was able to network so well because he followed one simple rule. Give more than you get. So remember, when you're networking, trying to forge new business relationships, focus on what you can give and the value you can add to that relationship, rather what's in it for me. And I promise you, if you do that, you will forge strong business relationships that will last a lifetime. Went through the behind the scenes of like a collab and how that works, and I think that's really helpful to everybody. Can we go into more of the behind the scenes of the current business bad taste PVD? Because I do have some questions on that. One being, um, how did you figure out of when the time was right to get your first storefront? Because the storefront you have now is different from the one you had before. But what went into making that decision where he's like, hey, you're, you're making the you're making these articles of clothing. Yeah. Um, what went into like, I'm ready to do brick and mortar? Because there are so many... Um, brands out there that just exist online and that seems to be the th- thing to do what went into you going you know what i need a storefront oh uh, that was a uh, two so the whole 2016 i was straight hustling online etsy um the providence flea uh and the providence flea was like legit you know i was minimum five six hundred bucks and just to be clear, and sorry to cut you off before we, we go into that, um, Bad Taste is, uh, to my knowledge, direct-to-consumer, right? Whereas I feel like your previous brand, you were, you know, you were dealing with Karma Loop and stuff like that. Uh, is Bad Taste direct-to-consumer, and is that that how you, you wanted to keep it that way? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was easier, you know, I think, because with the evolution of internet, like, I don't know if people was here like 10 years ago, but like a lot of brands are now direct-to-consumer. It's easier. You control everything. Um, you know, get uh, your profit margins a lot more. 
um, before you needed a lot of other avenues because it was so hard to get to people. But now, like with internet, I mean, not internet, but like with social media and every freaking aspect of it and a bazillion different uh, ways to sell from TikTok to Instagram to Snapchat to uh, LinkedIn. You could, uh, to, you know, Facebook ads, you could make a livelihood just doing direct to consumer on your own with a freaking apartment or small office. But what we wanted, what I wanted to do at that time, I was with somebody. Uh, I was with um, Max girlfriend in 2016. All that year, we would uh, hustle at the province flea, make the you know uh, six to eight hundred bucks, uh, save all that because I was still living uh, at my parents' crib. Um, and I'm talking about if you save like fucking all summer, right? You save like ten weeks. Like we started the store was like start up less than six G's, and the, we found a spot. And I was like, "Yo, I need." We get mainly it was all like the local students from Jaywood Brown that kind of like enticed me because if they're local and they're buying all this shit, and I can make five hundred bucks minimum for a Sunday, then it would be logical I could probably make five hundred bucks or more a week, but hoping to make five hundred bucks. A day so when I opened the store up well I just googled and found out there's a place called the arcade which is technically the oldest indoor mall in America started 1892 yeah but that's that's in the heart of downtown Providence yeah the location was cool um it was surrounded by some colleges Jay was next door Brown's up the street RISD's around it um I went in with the girl at the time um, good thing we split right before the grand opening. Uh, so I ended up doing everything myself, which is cool in, in hindsight because everything's under my name so I could get it going. And um, so you drop like, what, 1800 bucks, And then the inventory I had, I made some more inventory. When you say drop 1800 was that to pay for like the first month's rent and like security and stuff like that? Or was that just to get the proper um, setup? From the fixtures to the first and last month, we probably dropped like three G's. And then the rest of the three G's was all inventory. So it was three G's inventory, then three G's of like... Because um, I think it's important to note the, the arcade like had, re- I think it recently been renovated because it was just sit dormant for years. And then they were trying to get different clientele like oh, yeah. i think the upper level was apartments and then the bottom level we're, was we're lucky that the, the 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 space was kind of already done it was just green it was an old art gallery and the colors on the wall was lime green and i asked them to repaint it for me and they did that so there it was legit a 300 square foot space it was like the size of a closet so it was like you but it was good enough because it was downtown next to it it's like a few restaurants and, uh, was that the deciding factor in why you chose that space over others in Providence? Was like, hey, it's downtown. Yeah, there was a foot spot, traffic, all that good stuff. There, there was a spot that we thought about in like Cranston, Elmwood area, and I was like, this is a weird spot. Even though it was like eight hundred bucks and bigger, and I was like, I don't know. Then I got to renovate this spot, and I got to bring traffic here. And then the monthly rent on the downtown Providence spot was what? It was only nine hundred, nine twenty-five. Oh, that's that's what I pay in rent for my apartment right now. <laughs> yeah, nine twenty-five. I. I knew that I could make that in a month, and but hope I can make that in a week. And also, I think it's important to note they were bringing in other businesses, like a new bar, 
like restaurant opened up, yeah, um, yeah. which was uh, what Rogue Island, I, I believe. You had New Harvest mm. Coffee Whiskey just opened up in there. Um, you had uh, Cured Collection, um, which also dealt in mm. like streetwear vintage. Then you had a, a couple of other vintage clothing dealers. I think there was like a nail spot in there that might still be there. So they were like they were getting all new businesses in there, and you were in on that ground floor, if, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Well, correct. to be real with you, like we were like the first one of the vintage, aside from Carmen and Ginger. Okay, I was trying to remember the name. I think it was I was like I was like Carmen and something. So it was like so as far as the vintage people, it was you guys and Carmen and, and Ginger. Yeah, yeah. And gotcha. Then, so the first year, um, dropped all that, and um, I was freaking. Uh, so we sold. Uh, so we got lucky. The first, we kept promoting and stuff. And the first customer was this girl. She came in and she heard about this through Instagram, and she bought like a a, a cool cigarette T-shirt, and I was souped. I took a picture of her, and I was like, your first customer ever. And uh, and then the first week, bro, we were, we're uh, I think I was, uh, so the first week, I legit went into the store at 9 a.m. and didn't leave till like uh, 8 p.m. But the, but the everybody else doesn't open till 11 a.m. And then they closed at 6. So I adapted, and I was like, oh, shit, I guess nothing happened. It's before 11 but I would still be there early and I was raking in like 12 hours a day for seven days a week. I was like, yo, let's be, I'm going to be this guy. I'm going to open seven days a week, 10 hours a day. It's going to be lit. The first week we made like, I made like 600 bucks and I was like, this is dope. This is hot. If I do a couple more and I was like burnt out and then uh, I kept on doing it. And then the first year, I did, and then we did collabos with a, a, a pop-up with Cure Collection and then we did a, like uh, collab with them, and then we we did a lot of uh, there's a few other events that happened. So it was because we were like the the first one because we had like sneakers. My friend consigned sneakers, and then people were like kids were like yo, you Supreme in here. I was like, what the fuck? I don't like I was like I don't like Supreme that much, but if kids will buy, it, I'll bring it in. So we would buy Supreme, resell it, sneakers, resell it, and then we would gross like I was the first year I grossed uh, fucking. One hundred and ten thousand dollars. No, one hundred. I, one hundred and ten hundred, one hundred and ten thousand dollars. No, was it? Like six. I was. I was gross six figures. I was like a hundred grand. The first year I grossed by myself, straight killing it. But only like. But then the thing is right because you gross it and you're like, oh, that looks cool. Was but, that just that was the combination of online? Because you had the online sales and no, uh, the in store. No, I or? took online off because I wanted the retail. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But the but it sounds cool because 110 grand is looks like a lot. But that's gross. But honestly, I only netted like 40. So I was living like a very average dude, like a 30. I only I net like 30 to 40 because I didn't know the numbers, and I overspent and over inventory and shit. And I was like, that's this is cool. And then um. But like I met so much cool people. Uh we were only store doing it, so like these Rizzy kids were like, Yo, store's dope. I love it, I fucks with it. Um a couple of them I remember uh, this kid Evan, he was an industrial design student. It was like his senior year and he helped build some fixtures for me. And he built me like a gift. It was like a bait bootleg clock. And then I always gave him discounts because he was a freaking customer, frequent customer. And then uh now the kid is like the uh, one of the Head shoe designers for like Reebok that I keep in touch with. He's so, cool. so it's those relationships, man. Coming back to that again. Yeah, he's super cool. Uh, uh, and then uh, 
No, but then a few other people started their own vintage uh, endeavors after they saw us because they thought it was doable. And I was like encouraging that. Like, I told Kirkaji, yo, you should go next door, like down the street, let me down the hall. And then he opened his store and then we were like this small community. And then like two other vintage stores opened up and then it became a small community. Uh, yeah, it was good. So it seems like things were going good, um, but that is not the storefront you have now. You are in a different location. What went into the decision-making of leaving that storefront at the arcade and what made you choose your, your current spot? And um, I'll let you say where it is and, and why you chose it. But yeah, what, what was that process like? like? What made you leave the, uh, the old spot at the arcade to the spot you have now? Well, uh, prior to this new spot, I was doing everything by myself. I was doing a dolo, all finance and all by me. But I had an idea of opening up a uh, collectible... So the old store was mostly clothes and a few collectibles. And I was like, yo, we're doing okay. I wonder if we could open a new store and get uh, more collectibles and make it a fully comics and vintage toys and collectible shop. Were you always into those into those things? Comics, toys, vintage collectibles? Or was that... Yeah, yeah, that goes okay. with the vintage. I was... Uh, that's my shit. That's why, like, all the my summer influence come from. Because, like I said, I was, like, such a... Uh, doing my own thing that I would read comics by myself in my bedroom and just like, you know, get lost or just read, try to redraw it and hone my skills. It was very self-taught. All I had to do is redraw comics to draw what I do now. I just kept redoing it. I thought that was dope. 90s comics is a very artistic, uh, dope. But I was into that. I was, uh, one of my figures I got now that I'll never sell is the Ultraman toy that. Uh, my mom, my dad, and my mom gave me when I was a kid. It was a so they gave me money that equal to 150 bucks. And when you're like 13, you're souped. And I was like, that's fucking tight. Uh, so back in the day, uh, there wasn't much of the internet back in like you know uh, was it 1996 or whatever 97. But you could look on it to find different things. So I was like into Godzilla, kaiju, and Ultraman. And I was like, yo, I have 150 bucks. This is random number catalog that sells this shit. So I called this number. I was like, yeah, man, I'm trying to buy some stuff. And he's like, I'm like your Ultraman. And then I'm like a kid. And this dude, old dude, I can tell he's like, well, I got this. He's like in Atlanta or somewhere in the South. He's like, this is going to cost you a buck, 25, buck. 50. I was like, fuck's a buck, 50. I was like, oh, it's 150. All right. And he was like, how do I buy that? And the guy was like, you got to send a check or a money order. And I'm like, yo, dad, I need to get a money order. He's like, all right, whatever that's for. So you mail it. And then looking back, you're like, this is very scammy. Like you could I, like, you I just keep your money and then that's it. I could have legit gave this dude 150 bucks. You could never send me that. I could, and I could do nothing about it. But for some reason, two weeks later, I was waiting. I was like, I hope this comes. It comes. I'm like super souped. Uh, and it's one of my prized toys. It's like talking Ultraman. 12 inch vinyl figure from like the late 80s it's worth like money now so you were into collectibles for a minute and the old space you just didn't have enough space for the clothing the vintage and the collectibles I wanted to, I thought I could go bigger gotcha I wanted okay. to branch off um and then like the homie Zudi from Kirkland had a similar vision he wanted to branch off and get bigger so he went to the mall and I went to find a different spot and it called my friend Tony who is also like a comic book nerd and I was like yo I'm trying to do this second store do you want to get down all in you know you just need like to bring in a few a few bucks and he was like yeah let's do it 
um and uh and he and he got down uh the weird part about that is is a is a, it was a mad random story so so tony wanted he he needed to bring in some money like thousands of dollars to sell the second store but that money was in florida straight cash and we couldn't get it unless we like flew over there but at that time i was given a free rental by my buddy owns a uh, auto body shop for my car being worked on a brand new 2020 acura and i was like yo how am i gonna get this money because we need to open the store uh and then we were like yeah we can do a road trip so wait, just just to make sure i'm understanding this right so you and your buddy bringing in the comics we're gonna open the new store together we needed to buy over like 20 g's worth of comics and then so you had somebody who had 20 g's worth of dope comics yeah had some money too but to get more money because my buddy uh my buddy put his has put his money down to go the the thing the person who had all these comics and collectibles was like, yo, we got to get it. Uh, I need straight cash. I was like, oh, fuck. All right. And they were based in Florida. Uh, yeah, so we had to get all these comics. So the person who had all the stuff that was going to sell the collection, you know, it was like 30 G's worth of shit. I was going to say, did you find them online or how did you No, find I'll tell you person? about that in a minute. Oh, that Jesus, old okay. Homie. And then we're like, yo, how do you fucking get this straight cash? Because uh, I don't... You don't trust sending that shit in the mail. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So I, I got this car, bro. It's free. Because the homies are mad cool. They're like, yo, we'll give you the car a month for free. I was like, oh, thanks, man. I paid. Uh, and then but how we get this, like, fucking. So we drove. So my buddy take this, like. So I'm like, yo, I, I, I drove for, like, six hours. I got super tired. My buddy takes, like, Adderall. And he drives for, like, 26 hours straight with no brakes. And I'm, like, nervous because I'm like, yo, how's this guy even awake? What the fuck? So we go there, and I'm like, yo, yo, like, yo, so it was cold, it's like February, and I was like, yo, this is, Florida's cool, I've never been in my life, it's very nice here, it's a beach, but we chilled for like eight hours, got the money, and then flew uh, and drove back, no, no, he stayed there because he has family, and he flew back, I took the car, uh, oh, back, all the way back up yeah, to yeah, yeah. and then uh, we paid off and got the shit, and then we got the store opened up within like a month, Are you still weeks. Is is that friend of yours still involved with the store now, or do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, my, he's gonna help me out in the, my future endeavor. Uh, that's that's. I told him like, uh, um, whether it fails or succeed, we're gonna ride together. So the second store didn't become too successful because I was like spreading myself thin. So I eventually shut down the bad taste store downtown. One, it was too much to open two stores, and two. Uh, the management of the arcade old building was trying to sell their units and building. So I didn't want to be in a position where if somebody else owned it, they could kick me out. So I wanted or to leave. they could jack the rent up. So I wanted to leave on my own terms because my lease was up. Oh, uh, okay. And then if I could make everybody... And at this time, Troop had just opened within uh, with already a year. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it might be important to explain um, where you're... New, you're, where you're at the, at the time, second, yeah. now, the sole, the yeah. new store is now. So Troop opened like a year before us at the second location. So they had a rep of already being busy. And I was like, yo, if I could close down the first store because the lease is up, I could save like 1200 bucks a month with the rent and utilities and allocate that money towards the rent of the new spot. 
And at that time, I was also looking for an apartment to live because, oops, excuse me, I wanted to move out of my parents' crib. Not because like I had to, because they have they have like a, uh, it's like a three bedroom. Then they have plenty of rooms, and uh, I, I visit them regularly. But it's more so I could be closer to the store and also just like uh, have my own spot. So the new location is actually my apartment upstairs, and the store is downstairs, and it's triple the times bigger than the old store. So it's a business decision. It's not really taking. So you're not really losing because you're failing the first store you're just taking a small l to make the bigger store bigger it's kind of like i don't know like nordstrom closed the store in downtown providence at their problem small but they're still booming yeah it's just being very well business minded to know that yo this store wasn't making that much because now you have two stores and people don't know where to go so you take away one and you force them to go to the more business location and then you're saving over twelve hundred bucks that you could save for an apartment. What was that? What made you choose this current spot that you're in now? Is because the convenience of oh, it's a it's the apartment and the business all in one. Yeah, um, to be real with you, one of the main shit is the uh, the parking. One of the, uh, the customers would just DM us and be like, "Yo, downtown parking is terrible." I was driving by, couldn't find parking, so I had to bounce. So like with us being in near, near Troop and there's also like a bookstore called Riff Raff and there's a here beauty salon and it's very it's very very being a dope place that people come to that uh, and the parking is like free yeah to, I was going to say to explain Providence geography a little bit uh, for those that are listening that are outside of Providence or outside of Rhode Island you know there's downtown Providence and it is like a downtown like city that you would think of in your head but with like any city there's not a lot of parking or you have to like find yeah, street parking or, or lots downtown. And then I realized downtown is just dying. So I'm glad I got out at the time I could. I wish I'd have done it like a few months sooner, but I got out when I should because downtown in that section is dead. Downtown in general is dead. People think downtown in the city should be booming, but for province, it is not. It is not uh, as what you think it is. I think it's everything surrounding downtown. Like there's a couple of like businesses or bars or stuff that I'll go to, but it's like very specific. Whereas I'm not just like, let's spend a night downtown. It's like, let me, let me go to these specific places, which is interesting because you have this new spot and it's in Onlyville and Onlyville's outside of downtown province and Onlyville, you know, wouldn't have like technically wouldn't have the foot traffic that downtown would get. Right. But mm. the area of Onlyville that you're in, it's this rehabbed like mill complex and it's got apartments. It's got other businesses. It has troop, which is like a bar slash nightclub slash restaurant. And it's like almost like this self-contained, like, Kind of like a self-contained main street, just not in a street format. It's just more in yeah, like it's a, a block. Like a block. It's become the the cooler part of Providence. Oh yeah. So I I agree. Yeah, I compare downtown. So I compare the demographic. So my friend owns Black Sheep, right? Which is downtown. Yeah. Um. So the client over there, for the busiest night, I'm talking about the busiest night. I'll, is the uh, you know the college crowd, the party girls, and the frat dudes? I was gonna say because like you have URI down there in Johnson and Wales. Actually, not URI. Sorry, John. You have Johnson and Wales down there. I think right. Yeah, it's mostly Johnson and Wales. Uh, some PC, but it's very walking distance. So I understand why people go there. So this area, if you ever go into Troop on a busy night, is not a college crowd. It's kind of like if you know it, you know it, and it's like the the uh, the crowds like creatives and hip kids and like you know a bunch of like the cooler. Uh, well, cooler is in your opinion or anybody's, but like uh, so-called coolers. And I, at some I was gonna say downtown is more tourists and students now. Whereas, like, if you're going to Onlyville and you're going to Troop, you you're going because you know it's there. 
No, I mean, yeah, um, it's the spot if you want to get away from that college crowd. Nothing wrong with that, but that, that's what you're into, like, if you're older, you know. Uh, but what I mean is, like, you know, it's like a cool hip vibe at Troop. Like, there's some parts of it that if you know about it, you're cool, or uh, it's, like, you know, its own thing. And then, you know, there's a whole aspect of, like, being in limited. So, like, there's, if it's busy, there's a line. And it's cool and hip with graffiti art and streetwear and skateboard decks as uh, uh, chairs and things like that. It's very the whole vibe. Uh, and it is totally different from downtown. And I think um, our clientele with the clothes and the lifestyle that the store is, uh, is around here better. And if I need to go to, uh, you know, to go like a sports bar, watch some sports, I definitely would go downtown, which I still sometimes do. So uh, it's just two different crowds. I mean, there's the cool kids in high school, uh, in college, over there downtown. And then there's like a different type of uh, uh, people over here in this area. It's um, different vibe, different audience. The weird part is like you know they sometimes integrate and stuff. But <laughs> um, you know, actually, uh, it's funny staying on the subject of cool. Uh, I forgot. I wish I could remember the guest off the top of my head, but I can't. But it was a notable guest on um on another podcast. Inspira- one of the inspirations behind this podcast, uh, Jeff Staples. Uh, business of hype and i f- wish i could remember who the guest was but they they said something that was really poignant to me which was um i never they, they they said i never pay attention to what the coolest guy in the room says because the coolest guy in the room is usually the brokest guy in the room and the reason why i'm mentioning that quote is because i want to ask you what goes into what you design and you know even just like Hey, like we're gonna we're gonna have this design screen printed on this kind of hoodie or this kind of shirt versus a different kind of t shirt or a different kind of hoodie or a different kind of sweatshirt. Or even the fact that you're gonna do a sweatshirt or a hat or a hoodie at all. What goes into that and what goes into like certain vintage pieces you buy versus other pieces you don't buy? Because you're saying how like, you know, people come up to you saying, like, hey, you should sell Supreme and you're like, I don't like Supreme personally, but I'll do it because, you know, it um I know it'll sell. Same with like the collectibles. Is it a lot of what you personally like and your taste and your curation and your thought process and designs, or is it more on the side of like, Hey, I got my finger on the pulse of the market. I know what will sell. Or is it like a balancing act? Um, it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, as I grew older from these businesses, I, uh, I become like a businessman, so you gotta be a businessman also as an artist. You can't just be like an artist nowadays, because you know uh, you'll be you'll be broke. Unless uh, you got somebody running the business for you. Yeah, then most of the time they don't they don't really give a shit. Cause <laughs> it's not uh, you know what I'm saying. So I now design stuff that I know would sell, and then I design stuff that I know that I personally love, whether it sells or not, uh, is up to the uh, market and the clientele. Some of it doesn't sell. Like some stuff that I think is dope does not sell as well as I thought it would. But I start with a small limited run. And there's just some stuff that I make that's super like touristy, like the Providence shirts that I sell unlimited amounts of. I sell like thousands of those a year. And that keeps the business alive. Um, but it's also like when I design a shirt that I know would sell, I still have to feel that it's kind of cool. Um, where the gotcha. stuff that's super deep and meaningful to me, uh, I still do. I try to balance it like there's a balance of like, yo, I gotta um, feel the passion and uh, I gotta feel my 
creative soul passion as but i also know that i gotta still fucking pay the rent and uh stay alive so i'll continue to sell stuff that i think is you know it's cool but i know it sells so it's a little bit of both um a lot of uh a lot of young artists you know it's not their fault uh i was there they're so passionate about their stuff to make it super big right so uh they would do it even though they don't sell that shit like they would they would spend so much money to make stuff that they know hasn't sold it isn't selling and to outside of their group of friends and uh they would continue it uh it's kind of like i don't know like an example would be like a musician like eminem releases a bunch of shit that is just hot on the radio but then there's some shit that you listen to that's like deep that would never make on the radio but that's probably the stuff that he loves but the guy knows enough that he needs to get some radio play and some tracks to make it booming so that he could do the other shit kind of like anything like you know there's definitely shit that brands do just to make it uh and milk it and then there's stuff that uh they rather would have out how do you keep your i guess like your finger on the pulse so to speak because i notice you know as you're saying you've gotten older like your taste change your design ideas change things like that right but i also noticed that you do have and I say this as like a high compliment, you have like a pretty young clientele. Like, so you always manage to, I guess, stay within like um, the conversation, so to speak. How do you feel like you do that? Is that a conscious thing or is it just you being you or like, um, do you consciously try to not be, you know, you like, try, like, do you try to be involved in that conversation? Well, as a, as a businessman, you sh- like, is this a natural thing? Like, you know, like, if you're with this age of technology and business, you should be on the internet. You should be aware of what's going on. And it just comes naturally. Like I have so many uh, young friends, nieces and nephews that uh, know what's hot. And I follow enough uh, things on the internet or just whatever's hot to know what's going on, whether it's fashion, music, art, um, sports cards, uh, uh, whatever's hot in the biz, uh, I just know because I'm like I was naturally into it. So like, I, there's not there's not much prying or like searching. It's just like that's what I'm into, and uh, whether I get there sooner than later than most people, I don't. Know, uh, it's up to. Uh, so bad taste being successful in the fact that it's been persistent, it's 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 still around, it's been around. Um, how did you get it to that point? Because I'm assuming it wasn't overnight. Was it a lot of, you know, quote unquote, cold calling? A lot of was it a lot of self promotion? Was it a lot of just posting things online? Like, what did you do to get it to where it is now, where like people know the brand? Like, I know you were doing the province flea, and I know you had like you were selling stuff online, but how did you just get into people's heads that like, hey, we're this brand, we're you know, we make these things and we exist? Because I think that's like. Another thing that a lot of new brands or just new businesses have a problem is just mm. promoting themselves and just getting getting into the conversation in the first place. Yo, there's a, there's like this one thing that I did that's kind of uh, uh, helped built it uh, organically. What are you doing over there? Eating the eating the food that you got me, which I appreciate. Oh yeah, the nuggets. I'm just the, trying to I'm just trying not to eat it while on the mic. The nuggets and fries are provided by Troop restaurant next door yeah troop is unofficially somewhat sponsoring this podcast but not really i'm trying to i'm trying to get them to sponsor your podcast there's give you appreciate it they might give us free food. that would be amazing actually could do a we do a live episode out of troop 
Well, I'm back next to the door. question. I'm next door, so they do sometimes give me some free food. I eat there enough. I'm next door. I eat there like well, a few times a week. I was gonna say like you could throw a rock from the window and and hit troop right now. That's how close you are. Yo, I I go there depending if it's busy or not. I could just look outside the window and see if they're busy. There's a definitely times when it was busy, and uh, you know the homies over there would be like, "You should come to troop." And I was like, "No, man. There's like a line out the door." <laughs> but uh, you know, being me being next door, I would uh, they let me cut it. I feel like a jerk, but you know, I live next door, so. But they could, but they could walk me. They could people outside could see me walk out the door and go past them. It's fucked up. <laughs> it's funny. No, the, the the I love I love it next door. They're back and booming. There was a, you know, a little quiet during the COVID, limited hours. Now they're uh, opening more hours and more days, which then, is awesome. Yeah, I think we'll do something together during the summer when things open up more. What was the question again? Oh, so, how, like, what what did you do to just? promote or just get it so that people knew your you know, the, bad the, taste existed the good part is like the most of it was like the the clients and the uh, the people who buy it themselves like one thing i did when i first opened the store is i took i took a picture of almost every customer that bought something and i noticed like, that even when i bought something you were taking a picture of me and i'm like what the hell it was an organically done thing i initially did it to show people on our instagram and facebook that people would actually shop here. But, yo, people actually come here. And I did it so much. And I tagged the people that it got into the algorithms of Instagram. That, you know, like if I took a picture of you and I tag you, you're going to share or like it. Why wouldn't you? That's a fucking, why wouldn't you, you know? You, you made the brand story about the customer. I didn't think of it until it eventually gained traction. I took it so much that now people were coming in. And if I forgot to take a picture of them, they would let me know. They'd be like, hmm. oh, do I get to be part of the picture? I was like, well, oh, shit, okay. And then sometimes they'd be like, oh, man, I didn't get to be part of the gram. I was like, all right, cool. So then if I took a picture of that person and I tagged them on my algorithm of Instagram, their friends would see and, tag, and be like, oh, shit. Or they would repost it themselves and think, oh, shit. Uh, it was good because like, uh, whenever somebody takes a picture, they smile. And if I could, and if you think about it, one of the lasting impressions before they leave the store is them smiling. Uh, that would resonate with how they feel whenever they come to bad taste. But I did that shit organically, not knowing that people would actually want to be a part of it or take pictures. I did it mostly, uh, to be honest, to show people that people actually come to the store. And then uh, it just snowballed into its own algorithm. I have like over thousands of pictures that I sometimes post up. What, what did you do before that, like before you had the storefront to get bad taste into like people's people's heads basically um a lot of uh well the good thing being downtown is we were downtown so like people were kept walking so the foot traffic was there uh but no like the we had a before the store started we definitely had a good decent few thousand followers on instagram because we kept posing online selling online uh buying trading online the province flea Everything. It wasn't like, here's a store and here's the Instagram. It was like, yo, we built it up so that people could come check it out. And we kept promoting the things. And then it just slowly trickled in. The downtown had events that people kept trickling in. So it was a slow, slow, slow build. You do it, you've do you done a number of events. What goes into um into like th- like throwing an event? Is it purely just promotional? Or is there like a goal like you're going to sell X amount of pieces? And I've noticed with your events... Which I thought was interesting is that it's not just you. Like you let other, you had let other people in the past, and still to this day, 
um, either other brands or other stores like use your space and be part of this event. What goes into that? Like what goes into like, I, I want this new brand and this other store to be part of this event I'm throwing. I want this person to do the music. I'm going to offer these mm-hmm. things. Like what goes into that? Cause I think it's like a great promotional tool because everyone loves to go to a party. Right. And so, yeah. but like, how do you put that together and, and how do you choose the, the people and the other brands and businesses that can involve, like what's the criteria behind that? Yo, uh, I kind of choose organic, but some, most of the time I just like to uh, reach out to people that I like and respect. So like, you know, Troop's always going to be like, when Revival is going to like help a sponsor and the homie who runs Troop, Chris is the DJ. He's always trying to DJ and I'm like, yo, you should get down and then I'll trade him some free gear. And then local artists like I like, um, you know, they have a good following, so they're down. And then some few other brands have a good following, and I, if I like their stuff, and it would like relate well or like complement our space. What were some get, of those uh, other brands or artists, if you don't mind? Um, I give a homie Alex Savonary. Uh, so you got the uh, Gone Mad homie Madison. She's cool. Uh, there's a few others that we did with that was downstairs and a few other spots and then we got like a, a big event coming uh, september that we decided to do we can talk about that after if you want but that's dope man i don't mind talking about it now if you want if you want to talk about it well when you throw an event i think the best is to uh provide the person so one you want to provide the person you're throwing the event with some value you don't want to like you know come do this for me and you can be part of it. Like Madison, um, an example, um, she has her own custom clothing and um, um, so let's just use her just because she's on top of my head. Uh, Before you go into it, do you charge these other brands or other people like booth space or no? No. Okay. I know I know the value is to get their clientele or uh, uh, more aware from my spot. Gotcha, okay. That's already... Uh, the worst thing I mean not the worst thing but like um, a lot of people make the mistake of charging people where like a pay to play kind of yeah it's weird like if you could, if, would you rather get the 50 bucks from each vendor to make like 100 200 bucks or would you rather get the uh, the, the value, clientele the clientele to that and the first thing I'm not I don't guarantee any of these people that they're going to make money I'm just going to guarantee that it'll be a decent turnout and uh, whatever happens so Madison who does custom clothing? She screen paints, she paints and cuts up and uh, distresses clothes. Um, uh, she would come and be, yo, you should set up and you know bring some people and stuff. And then some of her clients would buy my stuff, and then some of my clients that would come to bad taste. Like every time she done it, she would make a couple hundred bucks, and that's more you know a couple hundred bucks for a couple hours is all day. That's a good time. And then, uh, but that's the value I bring to that. And then the vendors are happy and they would want to do more of it and. Uh, forming a good relationship if we ever to do bigger and better things. So I think a lot of people need to reach out, yes, to certain people that they like or would complement their event or space. Um, but it has, I think it has to work and comment. Like you shouldn't really like, you know, like, I don't know, what's a random person or a random thing that wouldn't be too, you know, I wouldn't hit up like a, a lady that sells silverware. Gosh, okay. That that's random. First of all, I don't mind that. I shrugged. I I've met some women that who are in the six that flip silverware and they make a killing. But the thing is, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really compliment the area. Right. But Madison does art and dope shit. Like does the stuff. So we, you know, 
it's got to fit organic organically with what uh yeah so then there's other vintage vendors that i love like pvd vtg he comes in sometimes and they are outside before and they made some decent money uh everything has to like i'm not here just like reaching out to people to try to use them for to my benefit but like hopefully it it has to really work for both people to make it really adapt or die i know sounds a bit harsh up front right but there is a lot of truth in that saying and the ability to adapt quickly is a major key to success no matter what business you're in longston had to adapt many times throughout his life when he started his new brand bad taste when he realized that selling vintage clothing at the providence flea was very lucrative when he picked out his first store location when he was taking pictures of customers and making their story the bad taste brand story and when he decided to go from two stores to one single new store in Olneyville, and having that store be a shared workspace and living space. Or when he realized his love of comic books, toys, and collectibles was actually pretty lucrative and decided to integrate that into the Bad Taste story. Or when he decided to throw events that not only showcased his brand, but the brands and creative projects of others as well. So remember, set yourself up to be able to adapt and pivot quickly you will be setting yourself up for success. Noticed on a number of your social media posts, do you, do you still have the intern or is the intern going? Oh, Sophia? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Sophia is, uh, she is still killing it. Uh, Sophia, um, she was actually only supposed to be doing internship for like 15 hours. But she loves the store and loves what's happening here so much that she volunteers herself to come up and learn more. And I am super proud of her and excited about that. Um, she is a, uh, very, very talented. Um, when she reached out, I think she was like 16 and going on her senior year. Oh, so she reached out to you to do the internship? Yeah, so every high school or college has some sort of internship that we've done in the past and they get a credit and I get the, you know, the free help, which is cool. And I get to mentor them. But Sophia is super different because like I've had interns in the past where they just do it for the credit mm -hmm. and they don't put much a hundred percent in, which is, you know, cool. They're young. Like I'm not going to blame a freaking 16 year old kid for not putting a lot of effort in. He just, right. if he gets out of class for free, that's, you know, that's a fun time. I wish I could do that back then. But Sophia was different because she would DM me and I was like, yo, this super long paragraph. She was like, I want to, help be internship with Bad Taste. I love this store, things like that. And I think I saw it, but I didn't see it too much. And then she emailed me, and I was like, oh, this girl's really trying. So I was like, oh. And then I saw it the second time, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't respond, but if you're available, come in. We'll have interviews. So she came, spent an hour interview, and she had a lot of energy, enthusiasm, and there was a little bit of me uh, mentally that I could see in her because uh, I was like that, but I had nobody to look up to at that time. Because when you look at look back in the '90s, there wasn't this Instagram or mentor and uh, type of role thing that you could do. There, a lot of schools didn't really offer it. And then I saw a meme, and I was like, "You should be the person that you wish you had when you were younger." And I was like, "All right, let's let's do, let's do this." So she comes in. I let her do the legwork of folding clothes and stuff, and then I try to teach her how to design or. We'll do small things. We'll like you know, we'll teach how to bleach. We'll teach how to like screen print. Uh, that's when I called in my favors to my friends who own the screen print shop, 
and he gave us a tour. She was super happy. We talked about street fashion, stuff that she wasn't too familiar with. I called my friend Joe Perez, who was like a creative director for like, uh, he was a former um, art director for Danda, Kanye's uh, art director. And he has worked recently with uh, Justin Bieber, Nicki Minaj and stuff. And I was like, yo, I have this really cool young student. She needs more experience. I want her to give her all the uh, exposure to all creative. And, she's, and he was like, okay, have her come in. And we both then met with them and she got inspired and then she recently uh, I told her to apply for everything apply for like New York you know for college because she's about to graduate and then she got a letter letter back and she has been accepted to uh, uh, St. John's University which is like a school in New York with like a like a six-figure scholarship and I'm super happy and proud of her she's um and then she also got accepted to URI but I was like you know fuck that don't stay local. You need to be in New York to be part of fashion. Like, yeah. if that's where it is, then you should go where it is. If you're trying is. to do that, you need to go where it is. So I was talking to her today, actually. I was like, when's your thing? And then she's taking the tour of the St. John's University April 18th. And then uh, we're going to talk about how it goes. And then, But every now and then when she has time off, because she's working and trying to like you know finish her exams and getting ready for to graduate, she comes up every now and then uh, to hang out and do like fun videos and small things what were we doing in the store in like a month so she's gonna help out do that so she stays in contact and I keep in touch with her to help her stay motivated and try to keep her on track and hopefully she uh, you know makes her move to New York and uh, and that's super dope of her to do that what made you decide that you needed an intern was it there was just so much to do that you couldn't do it all or uh, no uh, one I I like working uh, with the uh, the youth, uh, a few years ago, I taught after school arts program for the middle school in Woonsocket for pretty much free. I mean, they gave me sixty bucks, but that was gas and lunch uh, and supplies. So they asked me that they needed a after school art program. It wasn't, you know, obviously uh, good paying, but it was two hours a couple times a week, and it was very rewarding. I love that part. My nephews always hit me up. They're now like you know in middle school and they have art classes and asking me for advice and stuff and it feels good that I'm able to steer them or give them a little bit of advantage over somebody else, uh, in so that they could pursue their dreams. Uh, so mostly it was like yo you know I like the fact that I could help a little bit for this person to get to where they're going because that would mean a lot because like, if somebody did that for me when I was a kid I'd be like. I'd be like I could and like I would love that, and then every now and then, like you know, there's some stuff that I just don't like to do. I don't like to, I don't like to fold clothes that much or do shipping and stuff like that. So it's and then you know it's just uh, it's always fun to just pick the brains of a young uh, person, see what's hot in the biz, what they like, what kind of music's hot, and uh, and um, it just uh, makes it more. And honestly, like it, it benefits both of us. I get all the knowledge of a young person and the enthusiasm, energy that keeps me going. And then I give them my experience and uh, different things that I know. What goes into the, I guess, the, the day-to-day? Because you do a lot. Like you have the store, mm. you, you design the clothing, you, you make, you manufacture basically the clothing. Maybe not from the sense that you're, like, mm. you're actually cutting and sewing every, every sweater or t-shirt, but... You're designing and making your own clothing. 
you have the storefront you got to run. Then you also have like the events that you do, all the promotion you do for yourself, the online store and the collectibles and the vintage. How do you like, how do you just manage your time? Like, how do you split your time up? Like what goes into that decision-making just so that all this runs and doesn't fall apart? Yo, to be real with you, uh, there's other times where like it's overwhelming and it does fall apart. Uh, but um, within the recent year, I've been more structured. I reached out to my friend, my friend Sammy. She uh, she works for Madewell. She has a, a super cool. Uh, I was like, yo, you have any advice to get me a structured uh, schedule? So she she sends me her schedule. It's all blocked off with color coordinations and hours and stuff like that. So I still wing it for a decent amount, but it is a little bit of structure where like from you know eleven to twelve, I do emails and whatever shipping I need to do, uh, I post things on the internet for a certain amount of time. Uh, I do my uh, lunches. I uh, I talk to uh, new business partners that I'm doing new business with. And uh, so, and then I allocate about like two, three hours a day to wind down, uh, to watch like uh, random Netflix shows, just so I could wind down. So to be real with you, like, um, I do waste about three, four hours just uh, on random because I need it because I just have so much time in mind that if if I made to watch like some movies and stuff like that, it will wind me down. But to keep it um, structured, I was winging it for a good amount of years, but within recent year, it's been more positive with the structure. It doesn't have to be very like military, like yo from this time to this time you should do this. But there should, but you should have a list of things you try to allocate or do first in a day. And if you get most of it done, that's cool. If you're not, then you should move it to the next day or whatever. So uh, like right now, the online store is uh, prominent and the retail store, because it shut down during COVID, I don't plan to reopen it in uh, April, late April, early May. That takes a back seat to like number 10. And then um, uh, I think yesterday we met with a, a venue, the water fireplace for our next event. So that takes a priority to get everything settled down. When you say the water fireplace, you mean the water fire building, not actual like yeah the the wow the, the the water fire uh, building is a spacious fifteen thousand square foot space that we plan on doing uh, my new event that I thought of uh, um, a few months ago. What what event is that? So I've been uh with collecting and comics and stuff like that. I've been super obsessed. With it more, and I've been in, I've been you know search, uh, I've been knowledgeable or obsessed with the current trending of sports cards and comics. To be honest with you, that's like helped me self-sustain some of the business last year. Uh, so with, I and I've noticed it's been such a lucrative uh, business in other parts of the country, like bigger cities that have like conventions, and I'm a frequent comic-con uh attendee so i go and i check it out and it's like yo, i went and i attended one it was dope it was busy so uh this goes in back into how do you plan an uh an event right so i know that bad taste so my goal is had to do a big one like over 100 vendors have thousands of people come and i'm like yo i really can't do this by myself um 
I got to reach out to somebody that has a, a following as big. And then we'll break off the profit every which way. So I hit up the local homies that have came to the store before. They're super cool. They're called This Is College. So they're like, I don't know, I compare them to like a, a, a media company like Barstools, but like for like um, Rhode Island and okay. New England. So they, but they're expanding. They're getting uh, bigger. So they have like 100K followers and most of their uh, clientele is college kids. And when, they, when they do an event, it sells out all this fun stuff. So I'm like, yo, do you guys want to do this with me? It's booming. And the cool part about them is um, they know. So this is what I mean when like you build up so much shit that when you ask somebody or people think it's successful, it's because you built it up so that when you go and reach out to somebody, um, you don't have to convince them that much because your, uh, your pedigree and your reputation or your portfolio has already spoken for it. They're like, yo, he, has, he, has, he does his own shit. So, so I reach out, oh, you want to do this with me? I'm doing this event. It's going to be dope. We'll have thousands of people, things like that. And like, yeah, man, that sounds dope. They're not into sports cards at all, but they know everything about events. I'm like, yo, I will get the creative side going. You guys know how to handle the rest. So they're negotiating to get the spot. We had a meeting, and they're going to do the event promo and everything, and then we'll just, and they're going to get the sponsorship because they have good relationships with all these liquor companies and uh, my say about like, the vendors and different how it, how it works out. What goes into you deciding you're going to branch out to do something new? Like this event, for you, like you've done events before, but this event on this scale about this particular thing, this subject matter is new for you, right? Yeah. What goes into like, I'm going to try this new thing out now? Like what goes into that? Is it just purely out of interest? Is it because you're seeing a trend? Oh, you know, like what makes you go, yeah. I'm going to do this new thing now? Um, After like super being in love with it or obsessed with it. And I have to know that it will make money. Uh, but that's not really the main part. But I know it has to make money if I'm bringing partners in because there's no point for somebody to come in and join me if they're not making money. If they're not going to make a return on the investment. Yeah, so I have to pitch it to them to a certain point. I'm so passionate about whatever it is I'm trying to do that I, uh, I think people read into it and be like, yo, it's probably going to be dope. And uh, So I wanted to always do it. I see what Comic-Con does and other conventions do and I know what they do good and I know what they do wrong. So I'm going to take away all the wrong and make it right, but I'm going to keep the good part so that ours will be the best one so we could self-sustain and make multiple events a year. And that would be a small side that's lucrative, right? So if I have the store, um, like last year was the most, what the fuck do you do if shit's the fan, right? So I was so into design and clothing, but I had some other things too that kept me alive. But what if I have like a bazillion things? So right. I'm hoping this uh, event brings in. Let's talk about. Let's talk numbers, right? Let's say like it brings in. So there's like four of us involved. So let's say it brings in like you know uh, 40k uh, profit because we're gonna charge vendors and have over a couple thousand people. And if I break in, if I if I break like feet, uh, 10 to 15k profit, that's straight. We do that two times a year. Uh, for the first couple of years, that's like 20 extra K. Uh, and then I, I could live off of that. And then the store brings in, a, you know, a good amount of money. And then online brings in money. And then uh, my newest venture this summer is uh, my team who I've assembled. Uh, we are very hopeful. And I think we're going to, no, we're going to do it. I just find a location is going to be the shit. But we found, I think we might have found a location. Uh, will be a matcha 
inspired uh, uh, of Avenue, so of Matcha Cafe. So uh, that's going to be like the other thing I'm going to do. Okay. So um, no, I have to be super into it. The and one of the main things about this uh, convention is going to be do because we're going to treat the vendors great. We're going to bring in the top top vendors in the sports card and comic. I would go to each place, invite them, give them the best option to come to ours, treat them the best, and then they'll come to ours more than other. So then the word would spread. And then, speaking of like networking, right? So I was able to get Roy Thomas as the guest of honor. So Roy Thomas is the former editor-in-chief of Marvel. He, because if now that Stanley has passed away, uh, Roy Thomas is the Marvel OG. He's about 80 years old, 80 years old, and he's going to be in more cameos and be a more prominent figure for Marvel. He is the creator of Wolverine, Vision, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Man-Thing, Captain Marvel, I already said Vision, and a few other, Black Knight, and these are all being made into movies, and like, the guy's worth hundreds and hundreds of million, and he has agreed to do our small-ass show for a minimal fee, as opposed, and he won't do any other ones, because I forged a relationship about like seven years ago with his manager, and uh, I always kept in touch, and uh, yeah, and uh, uh, so we, that would tr- bring in a lot of people. And uh, go, going back to the networking, I met his manager John like seven years ago when John wasn't the manager, and I went to like a small comic con. It was like John was like selling comics out of like a few boxes. And I was like, "Oh, what's up, man? What's up?" We were nerding out. I was like, "Oh, this is cool comics. Can I buy these stuff?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah." So he gave me a deal, and he gave me his card. Oh, that was cool, man. And then. So that was seven years ago. Then three years ago, I met John at like a flea market. And I was like, what's up, man? How you been? I was like, oh, shit. So we were like, yo, uh, I'm selling all my comics. I'm like, Roy Thomas is the manager now. Would you want to buy and stuff? So I bought his old collection. And we were like, yo, shit, you're Roy Thomas. That's cool, man. Like, it wasn't like, yo, you know, whatever. It was just like, that's fucking dope. I'm happy for you that you got to do that. It's super sick. And then we've always kept in touch through social media. And then uh, a few weeks ago, I was like, I legit was like, yo, John, what's up, man? Like, I didn't ask for any favor. I was like, yo, John, how much would it be to book Roy Thomas? Like, is that a thing possible? And John was like, uh, to be honest, man, like, I think I could get your other artists or creators first because I think I think Roy might be, like, too busy or too, too much right now because it has to be, like, because Roy is, like, you know, Marvel's uh, guy, so he has to be treated... Uh, and it's true, like, I don't know if I could afford this guy. Uh, but then John just loves us. He was he mentioned to Roy when he was in a meeting, and Roy was like, uh, John, if they're your friends, I'll do it. I'll do it for, like, next to nothing. So now we so now we got Roy Thomas as the... And the thing is, like, Comic-Con's worth millions and millions of dollars can't get Roy Thomas because it's he doesn't want to do it sometimes because he doesn't really need the money. But I was like, I, out of the win, I was like, Yo, like, would you, like, was this a possibility? And then John just had a casual conversation with Roy, and he's, like, down. And that goes back to being, like, yo, I really didn't think that was going to happen. But I reached out to see what's up, and I asked, and uh, John is super cool. He's going to come to my podcast in, like, a few weeks, and is going to be more inspiration. He's going to tell you everything about business, how to be in business, in the Marvel, how to be in the entertainment business, how to hustle, how to, uh, you know... um 
be all legit, but like there's like certain guidelines and things I got to do correct to make it super great for uh, the guest of honor. And but that's like the new shit. I remember you mentioning it, and I think this is a good segue because this event that has such this this like high level guest is going to be local to Rhode Island, right? And you were talking about earlier how you told your intern get out of Rhode Island, go to New York. That's where the fashion yeah. is, right? What made you stay in Rhode Island? Because you could have easily have gone to a Boston or a New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, especially with all the friends and connections you have. You could have gone somewhere else, and yet you choose to stay here. What what keeps you staying here? Um, To be real with you, I think the it, it was... Uh, if I had to be blunt on it, I think it has to do with a lot of my parents. They're old-school Asian parents, and, uh, you know... As much as I need them because they're uh, super supportive, I think uh, they need a good amount of me too. Uh, and that's me just being like super loyal to them. And, uh, you know, like every little small thing that they need help with, like whether it's doctor's appointments to schedule, things like that. Um, and back in the day, you know, back in the early 2000s, there wasn't much opportunity. Like I couldn't really just get up and go to move to New York with like lack of money and things like that. I didn't really, uh, wasn't really mature or responsible back in the early days. Um, no, my friends and family, I wanted to do as much as I can here. Um, one, the opportunities wasn't really there as much as I figured I wanted to be. I know that my family could not afford any college outside of here. I know that they won't even know what to do to apply or help me get to these colleges. Uh and I can't blame them or anything. I'm like, yo, it's super cool. And uh, there's not much I regret. Uh, sure, maybe there's a part of me that wished I had went to like a big college in another city. But looking back at it, uh, they've made some sacrifices in their lives to give me a good life. Uh, and uh, I'm okay with the decision I did to stay, stick around to make sure that they're, they're good. So all these different things you, you've done... Um, have brought you levels of success and now you've got or I don't say you've, you've got it yet it's coming a show with Vice can you talk about oh, yeah, that yeah, at yeah. all? <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yo, first of all I don't consider myself successful yet I feel like it, I'm gonna get there I would say it's successful You're, you got a business that's still around and, and being run I would say that's, that's yeah, a success yeah, yeah. in my humble opinion yeah I guess you could say that I never looked like that but I have like a level of success in my opinion that if I get to that level that'll be considered success. But I don't even know if I like the I put my super I put my goals on a very super high level where like it's really unobtainable. Before but, we get into the vice thing, what is that goal? Because now I'm now I'm curious. Uh to be real with you, I make money to um make myself good, right? Sustained and everything. My ultimate goal is to, I know like money doesn't really, like I, I, I technically don't really like money. Like I don't like the physical nature of it. I just know what it brings. And I know people say like, you know, money doesn't bring happiness. Uh, but like buying my mom like a crazy house will bring me happiness because it makes her happy. So my goal is to not make money for myself, but to make two extra incomes so I can give it to my parents so then they can never work ever again. So, but I need to get to a certain level to make not just one extra income, but like two extra income, you know, to take over their thing. And that's my goal. But right now, 
I know it's successful. It's like I can have money to do whatever I want and uh, some extra money. But like instead of giving my parents a few bucks here and there, I want to give them this whole salary per year. And that's the most realistic goal. But ultimately, I would love the financial freedom to travel around the world whenever I want. Uh, and right now, as a small businessman, I still have to budget everything. Even though I am able to live off of it, I have to have the budget. But to get there smart where you don't have to budget anything is ridiculously uh, uh, the goal. And I have my eyes set on that and beyond. Like My goals are ridiculous. Like I'm trying to like, people like, you know, shoot for the the stars you know, get to the moon. Like I'm trying to shoot for like like another galaxy and shit. <laughs> you know, people have like small goals, man. You gotta go like crazy. All right. So Vice, why? What's what's this situation with Vice all about? Oh, Vice. Uh, I'm working on a cool video. Um, someone, uh, a producer from Vice, reached out to me, uh, and asked if I would be interested in doing a. Uh... Initially, it started off as a. A video project to for me to showcase Southeast Asian food and culture throughout New England. Mom pop shops, like short, small, you know, five, ten minute videos. Maybe just like two or three of them. Uh, this has happened in the late last year. They reached out and, you know, I'm like, because that's all I do. Other than me designing and creating and business, like I post up videos of me f- eating, you know, Southeast Asian food and just bullshitting. On so, the so they cold called you basically. They just reached out and said, "Hey, we've been seeing you making these posts." Yeah, it was like. So technically, I was doing an event. I forgot somewhere. So the vice, one of the vice producers, uh, she's like follows me, right? But she's also like have uh, bought stuff. Oh, okay. So, and um. Like I said, like forging connections, right? Like I don't. So I know she. Um, I had spoken to her randomly, and uh, she's like, "Yeah, when you're ever in town, like you know, because she you know follows my food stuff and like." And I was like, "Yeah, whenever you're like in the the area, you should go to this uh, Thai restaurant. It's dope." Like thinking nothing of it, because I yeah. recommend fucking food to everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember people. Yo, I should go to Thai. My favorite restaurant in this uh, the uh, the state is Thai Garden. It's the most authentic authentic Laotian Thai restaurant. This old lady since the freaking 1990s have made the same recipe and does not give a fuck if it's spicy or not, but it's just dope. So this person from Vice was at Bad Taste, bought some stuff. You suggested a No, a I, uh, we were or? doing like some sort of a, an, an event, not oh, like Bad event, Taste. Okay. But uh, they had bought stuff. And I was like, all right, cool. And this is like last year. Yep. Um, and then um, I kept posting videos, you know, people react to it or like the videos. And then she had reached out, like, oh, well, hey, how are you? Um, so I was just curious. I just generally get to know people. I was like, yo, so what do you do? She's like, oh, I work for Munchies and stuff. I was like, oh, well, it's cool. Buy Vice and stuff? She's like, yeah, I work for Vice and Munchies. And I was like, oh, that's dope. You should go to the, this food place, Thai Garden. It's dope if you like it. Oh, word? I was like, uh, you know, general comments. Cause yeah, I, yeah. Because, you know, like, I ask you what you do and I ask many people. It's just like, you know, like, if someone's in my booth and liking my shit, like, that's super cool. And I'm just curious of what, you know, I'm just curious of, you know, people uh, and what they eat and what they do. Um, and uh, so months go, uh, months, you know, and then event, uh, then she up out of the blue. She was like, hey, um, um, we have to pitch a bunch of new shows to our executive producer. And I wanted to come up with an idea across you. Would you be down to be like a host if I was to 
put together an idea of Southeast Asian food because you know about it in New England. I was like, oh shit, really? I was legit surprised, you know, like, why wouldn't you be? It's uh, fucking nice. Uh, and she's, you know, but I never asked about anything. I just told her she'd go. I was like, oh yeah, of course, you know. In my mind, I was like, oh fuck yeah, I would be. Because I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, of course I would be, but she was super nice because she treated me as like, would you be interested? I was like, fuck yeah, and my mom like, but I'm like, yes I would, and I was like, oh great. She was like, and I was like, all right, cool. Uh, keep me posted. So I sent her a bunch of information that I knew, and then she was like, I can't promise anything. I just got to pitch it. If it whether it's green light or not, it's not up to me. I got to still uh, get the okay. And I was like, that's cool, whatever. And then I'm like super nervous. Like a week goes by, I don't really hear anything, and then a week and a half, I'm like ah whatever. I guess it doesn't work out. Which is cool. Like, I never expected anything. And then she, like, DMs me. She was like, dude, it's been greenlighted. You're going to have your own thing. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, can you FaceTime me? Here's my number. And then she FaceTimed me. Super sweet. Super nice. And I was like, yeah. And then we have a half an hour conversation. I was, like, souped. I hung up the phone after. And I was excited to my friend. Uh, and then uh, we've been in contact since late December. Bounce ideas back and forth. And then she hits me up and was like, it's kind of changed. Would you still be down? Instead of making it like short five-minute episodes, we want to do a short documentary on the Southeast Asian culture, food in England. And uh, we have a, you could, if you can, can you join us in a, uh, a meeting with the supervising producer, all three of us, and we could talk about it. I was like, cool, yeah, yeah. So I wrote down a bunch of notes, right? I spent like a, a day or two to get what I need to get across from the questions and things like that, be prepared. And then, uh, so the idea that it landed on was to me to be like Anthony Bourdain, Danish character. Um, not to say that I'm him, but that's going to be the, the, the style. Kind of like the, the storytelling style of the show. So I would host, but I would showcase uh, a little bit of my family's immigrant culture and background to other local South Asian restaurants and where to certain place to eat talk about the culture the food's the background the people in the story of how to uh, how it is to be immigrant around here and correlating with food would be the premise of it and i love it i've always wanted and i've always have promoted my culture i think it's you know beautiful but to have it on a vice level would be fucking amazing um and uh i and the fact that i get to be the storytelling and i get to be like the person delivering it and hoping to do the culture proud uh is like an immense opportunity and honor to do and i get to eat on tv and i get to talk about people and i get to be on a uh, you know vice and munchies though is dope pretty crazy journey from younger you in art class to early 20s you running your first like streetwear brand and store mm -hmm. to current you running the new brand, the new store, collectibles, events, and now in the near future, this Vice show, right? If there was, um, if there was like a new version of you coming up now, like there's a kid out there, he's, he's 21, he's got some designs in his head, right. maybe some files on his computer, knowing what you know now, all the stuff you've been through, and he he you know, he comes into bad taste, sees what you do, and he's like, I wanna I wanna be like you. Like, what would just be some of the base level advice that you would give him that you you know you weren't able to give, or somebody else wasn't able to give you when you were in, when you were in your early twenties? Like, what what would be if you if you just sat him down, had a beer with him, like you know you need to do 
I've learned from experience, you need to do this, this, and this. Um, I mean, the cliche uh, advice would be like, you know, uh, you should be yourself and do what you want to do, whatever. But the realistic advice that I would give any fucking kid that wants to do their own thing is to stop fucking dicking around and doing shit that you think is the other person to impress the other person. Or like, I don't know, like, I think some kids are on the level. Like, there, I've seen some kids locally have made good designs and product, and uh, they've sold their shit. But the fucking next day, they're buying, like, a pair of Jordans that is, like, killing their uh, growth, right? Because they fucking just digged into their profit because they need to impress somebody. First of all, so I was that kid, right? So I would buy these expensive clothes when I was fucking in my early 20s for no fucking reason but to impress a fucking uh, the peers and girls. So go back goes back to that to that quote from that guest on Jeff Stable's podcast, the coolest guy in the room is usually the brokest guy in the room. It's true. Um, but nowadays, what, so if I would have kept it true, so I became like, you know, this hype beast person or whatever you want to call it, the, in the early 20s, mid 20s. Uh, but when I was like in high school or uh, middle school, uh, the teachers would love me because I was myself. I was wearing a t-shirt and jeans, right? And then I gradually fell back into becoming the t-shirt and jeans regular dude that kept it uh, to, uh, kept it real and authentic, right? Uh, and then now people are like, yo, you know, um, I love your style. I get that a lot. It was weird. Uh, not to like to my own horn, but people are like, yo, you should style me or whatever. But all I fucking do is wear t-shirt and jeans on a daily <laughs> basis. So what I'm trying to say is if you just kept it real to yourself and uh, stop trying to impress people and uh, if you have some designs, go hard at it, work. And I mean, like, be obsessed. Like, an example is, like, I'm talking about, I get obsessed. So people are always like, yo, man, I want to do what you do. But I don't know if it's possible because it's so, like, I get so obsessive with shit to the point of, like, it's not even healthy. But, like, you should still be obsessed. Like, if I don't know something, I legit will not sleep for 36 hours until I figure it out and know the basis of everything. Like, I wanted to do photography for a short amount of time. Uh, and I spent, like, four days in a row Googling and YouTubing. And I know everything I need to know personally from photography. So now when I pick up a camera, I know enough where I shoot it. Or when I have to know about Photoshop, there's no... Like, I'm not going to sign up for a class right now to learn it. I'll just go on YouTube and, and, uh, and Google. And for like, eight, like, it's that obsessiveness. It's um, ideal comic books and sports cards. I spend... When I was getting into heavy... Uh, I spend like six hours a day, you know, five hour, five hours on that, allocating towards that. Like you have to be super focused and into it. You can't be like, yo, man, I want to like be like you, but only like, you know, a little bit, but only the fun part. Because there's going to be the fun part of like, yo, man, I get to go to these events and I eat good food and Vice hits me up and I get the, the money and these collabos. But there's like legit, like, uh, like sometimes I'll legit lay here for like six hours straight thinking of the next how to make this collab or this project or this event or this business idea work and I'll you know listen to countless inspiration and I'll read mad books and shit and I'll figure out how to do things it's a very lifestyle that you kind of have to uh, you know sunk yourself into and and uh, and and forget all that noise. I've turned down definitely a lot of parties and hanging out and shit 
that's very hard to do when you're fucking in your 20s to to turn down social activities right and that's what's killing most of these kids because when you go to these you get easily influenced by other projects that you get you're steered away whether it's another person telling you yo it's whack or whatever you know you're young you're a pressure but you're like oh, i guess it is whack or maybe a girl's like no no you should do this like i had relationships in my 20s when uh, uh, a, f- a girl no offense to her anymore she's uh, but she was like oh you know your stuff is okay you know she just said that to me she's like it's okay like anyone can do it and then you're like oh that sucks that kind of stings right then you're like can everybody fucking do this like it sucks so then you kind of get deterred but if everybody could do it then everybody would do it so yeah there's the thing is so there's gonna be people so one you have to focus uh, stay true to your vision don't let nobody deter it two um, there's gonna be a lot of fucking people hating whether it's blatantly in your face or subliminally trying to deter you from it so you have to get that away I I still get trolls on the internet and DMs that are fucking ridiculous but I ignore it because if you don't pay attention to it, it doesn't it doesn't exist. Uh, and then three, you should plan for your. This is my thing. I I recently uh, heard of this term, the, your future self. A lot of people focus on their current self, but um, but they do stuff that their future self will get mad at them. So you should do things that your future self in six months would uh, like. And uh, so number three is like patience, like people should not expect to be super crazy and balling when they're in their mid-20s uh, and uh, work yourself up. Like, you know, people say, oh, successful, it's brassic. but I was at it for like a decade, bro. You know yeah. what I'm saying? No, it wasn't overnight. It was a decade. Well, we're we're at the end, and... The, How long was that? Uh, we've been going for about two hours and 20 minutes. We're on the two-hour, 20-minute mark. How, how, how average is your thing? Well, hold on, we're, we're, we're still not done yet. We're on the last question. Oh, <laughs> um, I'm gonna keep that in too because I thought that that was good. Uh, but the, it's not even really a question; it's just a uh, more of just a tradition I've done on the show. Where any last pieces of advice you want to give, any events or things you want to promote that you haven't already, things people should check out, whatever you want to promote or or say before we sign off, go for it. Yo, the uh, I don't know. So the next business venture is. Uh is our matcha cafe. We're going to bring the first matcha cafe to Providence. A lot of uh, coffee shops have like one or two matcha um, selections, but I think bringing a matcha-only cafe... You guys are going to be the first? Is there another one? I don't think there's another one. I'm just trying to think of like, there is like some of the tea spots on Thayer Street, but I don't know if they're strictly matcha. No, no one's strictly matcha. Okay, everybody okay. has... That's what I was trying to figure out. Everybody has tea... So I mean, I mean, up in like you know Cali, whatever. There's like places that's called matcha, like blatantly. Their shit's called and that's all they matcha. do. But like, I think a lot of people. Um, I'm not hating on it, but like, understandable. Like you know, coffee is very like New England, right? It's like New England shit. Coffee's very Providence. I mean, I I have a shameless self promotion. I have a thing called Double Shot Sunday, which is coffee and music because yeah. of that. So <laughs> so we're gonna. I mean, I think we're gonna do some some sandwiches and pastries and shit, but mainly. Is bringing that, uh, but I'm gonna bring that vibe that you would get when you walk in into a, a, a bad taste store, to that vibe. But now you're getting served uh, food and beverages instead of clothes. So people love our engage, uh, the boy bad taste vibe and the look and feel of it. If I brought that vibe into a matcha spot, uh, I think or a 
cafe type of venue that we are hoping to do in downtown Providence. That uh, I'm only saying it because the more I say it, the more it's going to happen. But we've already looked at a space or two. Um, it's just a matter of time. We're hoping for a, a summer. If it's a late fall or early fall, that's fine. But it's a, a very goal that um, I had pitched to my friend, two of them, and they're both down. And we're going to uh, get it going as soon as possible. But that's... Um, my advice is you should do a lot of shit so that your taste palette is expanded, but also you don't get bored. I get bored a lot. So to have a lot of different things going on would, one, help you out financially uh, if you can. Uh, but you should start small. Um, two is just get some good... Um, you know, like, stay loyal to the relationships that you have, whether it uh, benefits you or not. You know, don't 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 just be in with something just because it doesn't benefit you. Like, if you if you have the opportunity to help somebody else, you should uh, do that. And uh, not with, and it should, and you should hope or not expect anything in return. Um, and three, you should have a lot going on so that you don't get bored and stagnant. And that sometimes is the failure to most relationships and business relationships is you get stagnant on certain things. So if you have like, I'm hoping to get like four or five different business ventures up and running by the end of the year and that it could allocate most of my mind and uh, if one hits the fan, then you're still good. Well, with that, what a what a long, strange trip it's been for you, Long, and what a long, strange podcast it's been for, for the both of us, but it's been amazing, so... So long, thank you, thank you for doing this episode, Yo, my thank friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. This is a toy. This Pre- is pre- appreciate it, and uh, this is a good time. Un- until next time. Yeah, I didn't know it was gonna be and that's it for this episode of the Creative Capital Show. Thank you for listening, and a special thanks goes to my guest Longston of Bad Taste. The Creative Capital Show is hosted, recorded, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Jason Silva. You can listen to The Creative Capital Show over at our website, creativecapitalshow.com. We're also available on Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. If you like the show, please subscribe. Helps the show out a lot. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. I hope you enjoyed the show, and until next time, keep on creating.